July 2003, Vince McMahon said, Vengeance will be mine. And tonight, Vengeance is mine, yours and ours, as we cover Vengeance 2003 on the Smash and Six podcast. Welcome, everyone. I am your host, Matt Vaughn. And each week on the podcast, I'm joined by just some of the best people the internet has to offer. And once again, I go into the board game section of YouTube. And I also go into the section of my life where I have lifelong friends. And I pull out from a hat the hat of life, Daniel Pettipod, to join me to talk about Vengeance Season 3 of the Smash 6 podcast. Daniel, how you doing, buddy? Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm doing great, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, I'm going to hit you off the top. I'm going to hit you with a question right off the top. I want you to imagine that we are back in July, July 2003. We're in late July 2003. We just watched Vengeance 2003. And I'm saying to you, hey, what do we think of this one brand pay-per-view experiment? Are we on the cusp of something great where we're going to just have every every couple months we're going to have a SmackDown-only pay-per-view after 10 weeks of shows, no pay-per-view in between? Are we in for something amazing here, Daniel? What would you think of July 2003 after watching the show? I, I, I think we're on an upswing. I think there's nowhere to go but up from here. I'm seeing like i see seen star-spangled banners, man. I'm just, it is golden. Like, the future is bright at this point. And I would say, you know what? Like, if they can bang this out and do what they did here with the with the storylines that they were kind of working with, and they kind of start steering the ship, they can do a lot better. And it was great. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking we're off to we're off to a good start. We're doing something. And, and to think, too, that if you were a fan of this time, you finish the pay-per-view and you go, next month it's SummerSlam. You know, big old SummerSlam's coming up here. It's a huge show. I mean, Summer 2003, for all the grief that 2003 gets for not being great, and there's times where it's not great, we've covered it, but there's also times where it can be pretty good. And I think this is a good little stretch. I think this show is is a, a highlight of the year, I believe. Uh, yes, that's right. Okay, look at my notes here. This pay-per-view was voted the 10th best major show of 2003 by the readers of the Wrestling Observer magazine in 2003. This is the 10th best show of the year. This is including Japanese shows and WrestleMania and Royal Rumble and stuff like that. But they said this show, of all the major shows they did, this was number 10. Uh, pretty decent, although I think, you know, you and I, we might even move it higher than that. We would probably move it higher than that. I, I really enjoy this, you know. You, you, you take out some bits or you or you put on a different lens for a couple of the segments and uh you you got you gotta you know you got 505 right here that's right it's not it's not all gold folks that's that's the fun of it though really in a lot of ways and i mean even in for someone who has a podcast with smackdown 6 era we're talking about uh the wrestling of it all and the guys in the smackdown 6 this is a, this is a fun pay-per-view to show kind of what's going on where you have matches where it's a couple guys in the SmackDown 6, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, having a great match to start off the show. You got guys in the mid-card there with Rey Mysterio working with Billy Kidman and some other guys in there, the world's greatest tag team. These guys who are kind of not honorary members of the SmackDown 6, but kind of these guys who belong in the same breath as other guys in there. And then in the main event, you got Kurt Angle as part of a major, major feud. And so the SmackDown 6 is its fingerprints all over the show, showing how the gold can be brought out of anything if they are in contact with it. Yeah, it's it's good, man. It's good. The the other thing that I, I couldn't help but thinking was just like, this is good, but I know this doesn't last long. Like the, this SmackDown exclusive stuff takes a nosedive pretty quick, I think. Like, because once I got back into wrestling, it was 2006, and I wouldn't touch a SmackDown pay per view with a 10 foot pole. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we're only going to cover one more after this because we have uh, SummerSlam coming up, pay wise And then between SummerSlam uh, and mid-October, uh, there's nothing. And then we have October, we have No Mercy, 2003. That's a full-on SmackDown show. And then Survivor Series, then Royal Rumble, and that's going to take us to just about the end of the podcast because then that's where the, the SmackDown 6 kind of breaks up in a more uh, clear way. And so I'm, I'm interested to see kind of what the early years of the SmackDown uh, pay-per-views are like, and then maybe uh, as we get close to the end of the podcast, we can talk about what become in the years to come because it is very interesting thinking about this. And, you know, I there's, you know I stopped watching wrestling uh, shortly after this this whole uh, era kind of came out, and so I think that there's there's some glory days here. Uh, and there's some less than glory days uh, ahead of us. So, yeah, but you know, what, let's talk about let's talk about Vengeance 2003. It was uh, it aired July 27th, 2003. It emanated from the Pepsi Center in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Daniel, in one word, how would you describe the crowd in Denver that night? Oh well, I, I think they're I, I, as we talk about our kids sometimes, they were spun. Spun. They were spun. What an expression! <laughs> I like that. Yeah, man. Spun. They're wound up and going. <laughs> That's right. I like that. That works well. Yeah. And then we're also tracking, and we'll talk about the crowd throughout the night because there's all sorts of fun little moments there. Uh, we're also talking about the buy rate. Buy rate, this kind of uh, this magic voodoo number that kind of d- d- determines whether or not a show is successful depending on how many people bought it. And so this show did a 0.49. And so I want to give you the context. The year before Vengeance 2002, when it had both brands, this is an important distinction. This is the show when they, they didn't have split brand pay reviews then. It did a 0.94, so almost double that. And Vengeance 2004, which is a Raw exclusive, did a 0.55. And so it did in the same neighborhood the next year, maybe even a little bit better. And so, uh, I mean, I don't I don't know if 0.06 in a buy rate is enough for me to be like, wow, objectively way better. But I think that it's, you know, it's in the same neighborhood there. And uh, it, it, it's interesting. It's inter- also, just going to say, Vengeance, Vengeance 2002 is a fun pay especially if you're following along with us on the podcast here. It was the one, it was a pay right before... Uh, we started uh, recording, right? It was we, it was such like the week after Vengeance, if I'm not mistaken, that we All started right. doing it. And so if you want to go back and watch that, there's a fun – I'm going to say it and you're going to think I'm crazy. There's a fun Booker T Big Show match on that card, which I think is – like I don't know if it's a hardcore match, <laughs> I'm speaking or what, but it's legitimately good. It's legitimately fun. I don't know if I made didn't watch that before, but it's kind of fun. And the main event, interestingly, also a fun triple threat match for the WWE Championship. So it's interesting that kind of the, there's some parallels there. Only uh, okay. Big Show's okay. good in one. Anyway, it's a Yeah. It's a fun time. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be hard on Big Show today. I think I think we're going to give him hell. Yeah, but you know what? The good news is that he is he has seen the last of his main events uh, on the SmackDown 6 podcast because he's about to take a trip down to the mid-card. And uh, it's pretty good from here on out in terms of that. that now, there's other, there's other guys who kind of surface throughout there, but he's, uh, yeah, the, the end of the... Land. The end of Michael talking about, like, he's like, I think Big Show's the greatest man who ever lived. I mean, just says things like that all the time. You're like, could you give it a rest, Michael Cole? Uh, yeah, gosh, it's too much. So let's 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 situate our listeners here, Daniel. Let's talk what happened on last week's episode of the podcast and the SmackDown we watched. And so in that there. show, Eddie Guerrero, you were there. You were there. We're doubling up. Uh, Eddie Guerrero admitted he was jealous of Chris Benoit ahead of their U.S. title match. Stephanie McMahon ripped Sable's top off and then yell cried at Vince McMahon. Uh, the APA withheld water for an American soldier in the Middle East. Not making that up. That happened. And Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle came to blows ahead of their triple threat match with Big Show at Vengeance. Uh, so it was a pretty it was an eventful show. I think we hit the, kind of the big points there. 
And uh, and then, you know, usually on the show, we talk about what happened on Velocity. It was no Velocity because this ain't no regular smack. That was a pay-per-view. Instead of Velocity, we got Sunday Night Heat. And there's <laughs> so no dark matches. That's not what Sunday Night Heat. And, and I love it because on Sunday Night Heat, they're like, we got special permission to do SmackDown matches here as if it's like we're like because Heat is technically a Raw show. It'd be like Rico versus Steven Richards instead. No, we got to have SmackDown content on here, which was good. And uh, we had Ultimo Dragon. He hit his standing version of a flipping reverse DDT on Canyon for the one, two, three. So Ultimo Dragon, he's on Heat. He's doing something here. I don't know what, but he's around, sort of. Beautiful, beautiful. We love it. And so let's get into Avengers 2003. What do you think, Daniel? Should we get into it? That, that was all there was on Saturday Heat? There was just one match? They do the one match on the paper. Ahead of the pay-per-view, they do – they show a bunch of video packages, and they sometimes do some backstage segments. I mean, you know, I I forget what show I did recently. I think we, I watched uh, Royal Rumble 99 with past guest Brian Campbell on the show. And you watch Royal Rumble 99, and throughout the night, they're referring back to something that happened on Heat because Heat was, like, raw almost, especially back in, like, early 99. Like, okay. they would have, like – like the people, the people would come out for segments. Vince would come out. Steve Austin would come out. There'd be promos. You would do a whole thing. It was almost like another hour of Raw before the actual pay per view started. Uh, and I don't remember if they had the way of matches then, but at this point, it is such a clean formula. Which is on, on Sunday Night Heat, you get a match. It is five minutes. I think the face usually wins, and then uh, and then usually within a minute or two after that, they go into the pay per view itself, and we go from there. So usually that that match, even though it's an hour long show, happens kind of right, you know right at the forty five or fifty minute mark. So yeah, just the one match. So so obviously that is that evolved into the kickoff shows and these kinds of things like that. Yes. They're essentially a similar thing. Do you like the kickoff show model as we kind of have it now? I don't pay a lot of attention to kickoff shows. I mean, I'm I'm very much and maybe it's just because of where I am, where I'm like, I'm picking people up, or I'm getting things ready, or I'm dealing with kids, and then eight o'clock comes, and I'm like, if I'm like, if I'm seated and ready to go when the pay starts, I feel like my life is very much in order. Uh, <laughs> I, but I also have to say, like, I, I I've never been in a situation where I feel like the pre-shows are like essential, because it's especially now it's really funny the way they do it, where it's like, it's just like Booker T talking about like as if as if it's all like real in a way. Like, yeah. It's like an NFL kickoff show or something. It's just, it's funny. It's it's funny to hear them be like, like you know, Jerry Lawler be like, I, I think he's got a shot tonight. And you're like, I mean, <laughs> you want one guy on there to be like, yeah, it'd be weird if he lost, right? Because he was humiliated for week after week. It would just be so unsatisfying if he lost that. I mean, almost certainly he'll win. <laughs> <They don't do laughs> the, the, only, the only time that I took it all in was for WrestleMania 2019 when I was down right. there live. And that made for a seven-hour show. That was insane. It's too long. It's insane. Too long. I don't. I don't. I don't get it. Yeah. I'm, now now it's two mourned, nights. I, which is great. Like two, two and a half hour nights, is amazing. That's amazing. I can't wait for you and I to go live for two, Sounds two and a half hour me. nights of WrestleMania one day. That'd be awesome. We're in our we'll SmackDown six T-shirts. I love it. Well, yeah. We'll we'll bring we'll bring our uh, Smack Smack addicts with us in spirit. You know. Oh, that'd be great. Truth. Exactly. We should have a whole, whole section, a whole section of smack. So if you look at the the crowd, they're just one of the corners there. It's all blue. That's right. And they're all talking about stuff for 2003. They're like, yes. <laughs> we're like, we'll be talking about you know the great hardcore Holly feud of late 2003. Hey, folks, we'll we'll get there. Oh wow, I'm excited. I wish He's I was back. kidding. He's back. Oh He's boy, back. is he ever back? Is he ever back? And so, <laughs> let's get into Vengeance 2003. And uh, we begin with a video package here. 
uh, featuring Kurt Angle, Stephanie McMahon, Brock Lesnar, and Zach Gow. And they're talking about how they, they've always wanted to do this, which is wrestle. That's photos of them as kids and videos of them now. Uh, funny to think of Stephanie doing that. Like, I always want to do this. It's like, no, you were like a communication student in Boston. Like, I don't think you wanted to do this. Yeah, this this happened to you. This was thrust upon you, pun intended. Exactly. So. Yeah, hold on. Wait, wasn't there a storyline there where you were like 17 and like your dad gave your weird friends like make, make them go on dates with you? Or sorry, That's make right. you go on dates with them? That's you right. Were like, you were just like, I always dreamed as a kid. I would be in this business that made my father abuse me. Um, <laughs> I realize how dark that sounds, but if you watch these shows – she goes there so quickly. And it that's, so that's, what, that's what happens. That's what's happening right there now. It's a very real thing. And so we go, and it's this very, like, it's this very, like, gentle, like, ah, oh, it was always my dream. I love it. And then we go, there's a second half of it, and Vince is doing voiceover. And he's talking about how this is all about control. And it's it's great. It's like this monologue he's reading. And, you know, I you would think from listening to it, it's almost like a promo he cut in the weeks of, you know, in the weeks prior. No, this is a whole thing where he got in the studio and was like, Talking about it, he said he's going to take control. He's going to take control of SmackDown with his match against Zach Gowan. He's going to take control of SmackDown with Big Show's match against Brock and Kurt, uh, Kurt Angle. He's going to take uh, control with Sable's match against Stephanie. And he's just got this exaggerated monologue over footage of him and the people he's supporting. And uh, it was never really stated this cleanly before. It's, it, and it's almost interesting to think of it that way where Vince is going like, I have my fingers in a bunch of different pies. I, am, I have a match. My guy Big Show has a match. But I almost wish it was more overtly stated because he's been using Big Show as a like a cudgel against Brock and Kurt, but it's never been like ah oh, Big Show that's my, my my weapon. So it's interesting to see how they did it here and how they talked about it. Yeah, I was confused during this promo because I thought that it was like a previous promo, but then every time they show clips of him, they weren't showing him talking like they were either the back right of they never or, cut to him actually giving the promo and i was yeah. like oh he's not giving like he never gave this promo like this is fresh material and when i clued into that yeah I was like oh that's funny and it's a little weird like it, it it doesn't because the the first half is like monologue proper and kind of what you expect a voiceover to sound like right this, like you said sounds like a promo and so it doesn't like it doesn't have the um ethereal kind of cadence that a voiceover like this would have even from a heel right um so it was just a weird choice for me because i was kind of like oh but then i guess you can't get Vince McMahon to wax eloquently uh, when he's just pissed yeah, it is a total shift. That's a good point. That it, go, it goes from being like the almost the stuff you get here at WrestleMania, where it's like, I trained my whole life for this. This is something I've always dreamed of. And it's being like, listen up, bastards. I'm here to kick some ass, and we're going to take a draw. Like, it's like, oh, okay. Like, that's not the same thing. Like, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like reading Shakespeare, and then your dad comes in and yells at you. It's kind of the vibe from that experience. <laughs> yeah. Because they very easily could have made it so it was just like, um, you know, like, People might think that things have been going off the rails, but I don't understand. I'm distracted. You know, they could have. But I'm sure he's just like, I want to do this ever since I was a kid. And by this, I mean, uh, harass Sable and make my daughter miserable. (laughs) That's right. And so the video ends. Pyro goes off and we're live in Denver, Colorado on a Sunday night in July. And uh, we see the pay-per-view set. Uh, when we uh, go live to that, and kind of from the top down, there's a large V made of steel inside a steel circle. Uh, there's a screen kind of in the middle with that's very thin. This is vengeance and stylized lettering. 
And then on the main stage itself, there's essentially there's just like three square screens. The one in the middle is reset back, so guys come out from either side of that, and uh, that that acts as the um, that acts as the screen for the night and the stage four. You know, it's nothing crazy. It is. It's actually honestly, after ten weeks of straight SmackDowns, it's a welcome relief to see something quite different. And like, it's such a it's a visual change to be like, right, we're not under the fist. We're doing something a bit bit different. We're taking uh, taking this in. Uh, Daniel, did you think anything of the stage at all? No, not particularly. I didn't. I didn't think about the stage until a few minutes into the night here, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> but, yeah. But, well, then, you know, apart this from, is apart from technical malfunctions. I was. I was. Doom plus. Yeah, I, I remember. This is a time where, like, the excitement of a Sunday afternoon is: what's the stage going to be like? Is there, you know, could we get a leak? And I think I know. I think now, uh, interestingly, because of the internet, obviously, people if they come into the stadium early. They'll take pictures of the set and put it out on Reddit and Twitter and stuff like that, and you'll see it early. Like, oh, that's kind of fun. Like, you get a little t- taste of it. Uh, you know, before you'd have to kind of get a sense of, uh, you know, from from regular leaking, people have to take their 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 Nikon Coolpix digital camera and shoot a 1048 by 6122 uh, pixel image of it. Oh, I'm trying to make sense of. Oh, it's three screens, very exciting. Uh, and so yeah, uh, we're also on an elevated stage. Like, usually, I think my 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 brother and and past uh, guest co-host. Will has pointed out that for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, the SmackDown set has been pretty much just flat. There's no like they're not on a, on a ramp that comes down to the ring. They're just flat on the floor. And so this time we're we're not on the floor. Oh, okay. We're elevated. It was a different change there. And so we begin. Oh, sorry. We begin with Michael Cole welcoming us to SmackDown's very first pay per view, uh, auspicious occasion. We'll see if how how it turns out. Uh, and we begin with Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Benoit, the U.S. title tournament final. Uh, and it seems pretty clearly they're starting off being like, look, uh, we're we're doing the SmackDown thing where we're going to give you a good match right off the hops, and uh, hopefully you will like the rest of the show because of it. And that's what we're going for here, I think. Yeah, and I mean, I, I thought, like, odd choice, and then I thought, no other choice. There's nothing that you could do in the circumstances. You could do a tag title match. No, not even. Not even. Like, I think they had to go for broke here. I think they had to just make it work. I mean that tag title that tag title match is pretty good too though. I mean in terms of going for broke, <clears throat> it's good. It's good, but it, but but when you're thinking about without seeing the match, where you're gonna bet your money? Right. Yeah. I mean that's not, that's not disputed. Yeah. You have to you have to go with with those guys for sure. I think that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, and one of those guys, Eddie Guerrero, he comes out. He comes out on a low rider. There's a vanity plate that says "For you haters" on it, which is great. That's people did that today. I think people really enjoy that. That's right. Um, Michael Cole sounds like yeah, yeah. his grandmother at this point. He's like, "Oh, we got a nice one out tonight." <laughs> it's like, come on, Michael <laughs> Cole, like, Rick. <laughs> oh, it's so shiny. <laughs> it's like, oh, look Michael at this. Expecting to know everything about. It. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, Michael Cole tells us that Benoit needed to have the uh, the spray car wax that uh, right. Eddie Guerrero sprayed in his eyes kind of flushed from his eyes. <laughs> so, so, somebody told him backstage after uh, Tuesday, like, Michael Cole, I think you yelled wax in the eyes a few too many times. And so now he's like, no, man, it was perfect. Now he's like justifying it. Yeah. <laughs> the car wax. It's in his. That's car wax. That's not good. I think that's car correct. wax is something you could just spray, but. It's a real risk. So I assume you – know, I hear that. I go, okay, so Eddie Guerrero's going to work the eyes the whole match. So eye rakes and kind of eye bolt. You know, he's going to be – That's right. That's right. <laughs> irritating them a little bit there, maybe blowing on them, making them too too dried out, make them comfortable, make them blink too much. 
uh, that would be one way one way way to do it. I mean, the yeah, obvious, like selling obvious, a body part was the like the obvious tactic for sure. Yeah, like I want to work the cheek in a wrestling match, the face cheek, just to be clear. Uh, <laughs> I, just like just well, I want to I want to work the ass cheek. <laughs> just go after one and, of those his right no, glutes must be tight as a drum right now both of them right down the middle anyway. all right all right okay so uh we get our first look at the uh the u.s title up close it's held off by referee mike Kyoto, who is going to be fine throughout this match uh he then brings eddie and chris together to go through the rules uh and we hear him explain the whole thing and he says he says it's going to end in pinfall or submission and so immediately I'm like, because I'm always a stickler for these rules. And this comes up a couple times tonight where it's like, okay, so does that make it a no disqualification match? Because in theory, you need a pin or a submission for the title to happen. But here's the thing. You know, what, what is the thing they always say, Dan? They say the title can't change hands on yeah. a submission or sorry, on a no disqualification or a countout. But it's not changing hands. It's going to one set of hands for the first time. So right. in theory, you can have a disqualification of this match and be like, well, the winner of the match gets the belts. Uh, not like a, you know the other guy would have the belt before, so boom, you get awarded the belt. I mean, what are we what are we doing here? Interesting, interesting. Yeah, they do not specify. They do not specify. Yeah, they, I they, mean, they had all sorts of yeah, they had all sorts of options at their disposal. But I think I think they intended to go down the middle with this, and I think we do. But yeah, um, Eddie starts off. He mimes being blind to Chris Benoit, who had the aforementioned car wax in the eyes. Uh, a nice, nice little dig there. I enjoy which that. Which is funny. Which uh, is funny because again, I, at this point, I'm already over the car wax, so I'm like, oh gosh, okay. They're that was, yeah, such a such a a tertiary detail of it. Now, my, my the thing I noticed, right? That, yeah. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, please. My thought in my brain as he's doing that mime is just like, what a professional that he's making something as stupid as car wax in the eyes, like. He's keeping it as like though his character uh, knows that that happened, was intentional about that, wants to rub that in some more. Like for me, I'd be like so quick to want to just forget that. I'm just like like that's not on. how that's not how you apply car wax. We made a mistake. Let's just pretend this never happened. Like, but yeah, he wants to do it. Now, when he shortly after he does this, I'm looking at the ring and I'm like, huh, okay, so. The ring apron here for the show is black, gray, and red. That's kind of the Vengeance logo. But the ring has blue ropes and silver uh, turnbuckle posts. Like, essentially, it's the stuff from the SmackDown arena, or the the, the ring, but they have the Vengeance uh, ring apron there. I thought it looked weird. I thought it was a bad combo. I don't know why they did the ropes in blue. Especially because, like, my understanding of ropes in wrestling is that you can just tape them a different color. So if they were blue, usually because they do smack, then they could just tape them black, and that would be fine. See, that that's interesting, right? Because um, the wrestling that I've watched most is in Ruthless Aggression era and the Network era. Um, or Analog PG era. But basically, they went through a season where it was back to double pay-per-views, like uh, shared pay-per-views. And they would just kind of yeah. alternate month to month what color the ring ropes were. So they kind of were like red, black, blue and alternating right. every three months for a long time. So it didn't register for me because I was used to, um, this, the this stuff all changes for you there. I mean, the, the almost always they would, would do black ropes. Kind of look, you know, it, it's a choice, yeah. but again, I, I think, I think they want to identify still, that this is a SmackDown exclusive, right? 
Yeah, that might be it. I mean, the problem is it just clashes. I mean, to me, if you want to do that, then make the Vengeance logo kind of like silver and blue. Like, make it similar visually uh, without it being the exact same. Uh, and I think that right now it's just weird because it's black and it's silver and blue. Feels a bit of a clash there for me. But I'm also one of the only people who's going to notice that and care about it. So there's that. <laughs> that's right. There is that. But but we care about you, Matt. So that's fine. We'll care about whatever that's you That's good. Thank you. You can indulge me. I appreciate that. Uh, and so Eddie, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit, they do some train, chain wrestling to start, and uh, Eddie hits Chris with a shoulder to get the early edge. And uh, Colin Tass talked about the elevation in Colorado and whether or not that would affect the competitors, and I like that. This it's a nice hilarious. sporty touch. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is that like, is it different enough? Like, are they noticing the difference? Well, it, it is all sorts of other sports where, in uh, you know, in 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 baseball the ball goes further, and in, in football that's where you can set a lot of. Uh, records for kicking and stuff because the, the air is thinner there and in theory uh you know where athletes would suck more air because they're they can't get as much oxygen in the way they're breathing uh which is so it is true to an extent it is just funny that like the show which is frequently really silly uh they're also they're going into an ultra serious place with it right right like would indoors have the same effect anyway i don't know i think so i mean it's a good question though right like it's not the same as outdoors but i think it's just like that's you know the oxygen that's coming is coming from the outside uh, and so uh, uh, Michael Cole, he cites all the titles that Eddie Guerrero has won in WWE. Uh, he conveniently does not mention uh, the WCW titles, including the, the, the Eddie is a former U.S. champion WCW, just as uh, Ben Wyatt. So neither <laughs> of these guys will be the first time U.S. champions. They're both former U.S. champions uh, following the WCW lineage. So is this a brand new belt design as well, or did it look something like this? Yes. Okay. No, no, it's brand new. The old, the old one is like uh, I don't mean like it's almost a similar kind of shape to the old IC title there, but it's it's quite quite a different thing there. They've actually like I wasn't as crazy about the US title when they had they had an earlier one in the in, in the night earlier nineties maybe one before that. There was one they had there where I was really fond of it, uh, and I think even in some earlier incarnations, I don't know if it was WCW or NWA one, they had one where it was like it was the shape of the US, not including Alaska and, and Hawaii, but it was like. The belt buckle itself was the U.S., uh, okay. which is a thing you could do. Um, not not a very natural shape. It plus, I mean, if you hit somebody with the Florida of it, that'd be really painful. <laughs> right, right. I really like the look of this belt. Uh, I, I'm a big fan. You like it? I'm not crazy about it. I I, no? I never like the kind of the the home plate style shape of it, and just like that it's like all American flag. I was kind of like, eh, I want something more out of it. I don't like. I like the other belt. Like I like the. The redone SmackDown tag titles, like the the undisputed title, for, uh, the, which is now the WWE title, like I like that, but this one is like kind of like man, it doesn't really do anything for me. Okay, no, I was I, I liked it, how it how it sat on people. I thought it like had a nice presence. Well, that's good. I mean, I'm glad you're new titles of that. I don't, I don't, I don't, and I don't hate it. I'm not like oh, I was like like an, an uh, you know an aberration. I don't want to see it. Um, so yeah, that's anathema. Okay. Uh, that's right. So uh, Eddie and Chris, they have a, a series of roll-ups that look really good. Just really snug-looking covers. I mean, these are you know two guys that love wrestling against each other. And yeah, uh, Eddie and Chris, they do a series of yeah, they do some tombstone uh, reversals. And uh, the, Chris ends that by dropping Eddie's shoulder on his knee and then following with a cross face. Uh, but Eddie gets the ropes and he quickly heads outside. But Ben was quick after him because he hits it with a suicide dive as well. And then back in the ring, Chris goes for a roll-up quickly, but Eddie stands up out of it, and so Ben just chops him real hard. Is, oh yeah, it's great here because Eddie was doing some chops earlier, and Taz was like, "You better not do that to Benoit because he'll chop you back." And then he does this, and then McCole's like, "Oh, that's what you were talking about." 
great stuff. It's a little <laughs> moment, which I like. I like when the chop can be a moment. I know they've done a lot with like Walter uh, in recent years, but uh, I love I love the, the chop is a moment, especially when you have a guy who can do it so well. I think it's a nice touch in a match. And su- and suicide dives isn't something that I've really seen from Benoit. Well, have I been missing that? It, does he do that regularly, or is this kind of a he he does it in stops? big matches? Okay. Yeah, it's 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 more so the pulling out all the stops thing. Like, but but it totally it's part of the the arsenal for sure. It looked good though, man. It looked good. I, I, right oh, yeah. away now, like at this point in the match, I'm like, yes, <laughs> like this is this is what we're here for. This is, and I'm also having like sad thoughts, um, just oh, about yeah. how like he from this point we have like four years with both of them left, kind of thing, like. Well, like, well, two oh. years with Eddie. Yeah, two years with Eddie, for sure. And yeah. so it's like, it's just kind of this like, oh, like they're really starting to heat up. They're about to both go big with championships. And like, there's like, theoretically, there's like years left for great things with these guys. Although like the writing's on the wall before they die that they're kind of going downhill a bit. Eddie, not so much. But them He was back in the mid Yeah, i yeah, I mean, it, you, it is hard not to watch one of these things and be like, how much better would it be if we could just like, if there was like a, like a WWE roundtable thing on the network where you have graying Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit talking about, and Kurt Angle talking about their times doing this. I mean, it's just, there's so yes. much that could be celebrated that can't be because of, uh, because of death and because of murder. It's really quite sad. Yeah. Uh, and this is one that like, when you look online what people think, like often the comments are like, yeah, good match, but but sad to see now, especially because it's these two specific guys. It's not like yeah. uh, one where you have Kurt Angle in there. You're kind of like, well, he's still around uh, and, and and doing okay enough. Uh, but here's one where both guys are they're gone. Uh, and, and, well, and, and, this, and this is the thought, too, of like, I've had this thought over the course of this podcast. Um, but this this one, for whatever reason, hit harder for me. Um, because yeah. I think they're about to they're about to go white hot. Um, yeah, kind of makes they're about to have some really good success. Yeah, yeah no, I, yeah, yeah, no, big time. It, this is they're kind of they're going in the right direction because yeah, it's this is July, and so you know by the next March, I mean they're both kind of at their kind of like uh, two peaks happening at the same time, um, yeah. just about. Uh, so that's yeah, it's a real thing. Um, yeah, in the match here, Eddie gets a hurricane run for the second rope. He gets a two count in there, and then. Eddie does, and this is one of those things where like these guys are they're wrestling in a way that you're kind of like, you know, wrestling's a lot about taking care of the other guy. But sometimes when guys are very comfortable with each other, they're like, ah, you can be a little more reckless, I guess, sort of sometimes. And so Eddie does this really kind of like dangerous looking back inside suplex where Ben lands like half on his neck. Oh yeah. Uh, especially considering that Benoit had neck issues before, and you're like, that looked really rough. Did you see that one? Did you remember oh, that yeah, one? Oh yeah, I did. I did. It was for me. I was kind of like. It was it was too cool that I didn't really care. Like, <laughs> oh, it's very cool. Oh, it was very good. Yeah. Um, and then he get does, Eddie does get a back superplex from Benoit from the very top rope. Sometimes you see it from the second rope, but they are both on yes. standing on the top rope, and so Eddie does get right through as well. It's very nice. And then there's a moment right after that where they're both on the mat, and Mike Kyoto starts counting to ten. And my question to Mike Kyoto, referee, hey buddy, what happens if he gets to ten? What's gonna go? <laughs> <laughs> you gonna take, take the title home with you or something? Like, uh, you got Mike a belt Kyoto, to hand out here, man. Mike, Mike Kyoto gets it, obviously. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, US champion. I would love it to be counted to five, and then he like took him for a second. And he was like, "Wait a second, ne- never mind." 
We'll wait till they get up. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We need to finish this. Yeah, exactly. The, the Rock. Uh, now, Eddie. Says, this match isn't going to finish on a count out. That's right. He comes out and decides it. Um, Benoit gets an arm on Eddie to get a two count, though. So we're robbing out of that, that ultimate question of what would happen. The chaos wrestling question. Um, and then Michael Cole talks about some, some former U.S. champions. He invokes uh, Ricky Steamboat. He invokes okay. uh, Goldberg. Big, two big names, two very different styles of wrestler, but he b- brings up both of them. Harley Race and then, is uh, the first. Ben, ben, yeah, Harley Race has got a lot of shout-outs during the, uh, in the last few weeks here. We're like, oh, first one we got to talk about, 1975, U.S. champion. Okay. The only thing that I think about when I hear Harley Race's name is Jim Ross saying, there's a Harley Race-like high knee from Triple H. Oh, gosh, yeah, exactly. Triple H, yeah, he'd sort of that in JR's mouth for, like, years, just being like, please, mention me the same breath, make me, please let me have some of the glory. Early uh, race, right, kind of. It's so funny to hear that, and, like, like it was always this very, like, that was, the wrestling that Triple H was doing, and the era he was in was so unlike Harley Race in so many ways, it's so funny to think about it that way. That's right. You're like, yeah, sure, I guess, interesting to evoke that very kind of traditional old wrestler guy. Um, I really, and, I really like the Harley Race like Heidi though. It's a good, good move. It is, it is a good one. It's true. It's very nice. Um, Benoit gets, uh, he gets two German suplexes and he gets a cross face on Eddie, but Eddie gets the ropes. And then uh, I liked what Eddie does here because Eddie gets rolling suplexes and after the second one, he pushes Benoit into the corner and puts him on the, su- uh, the turnbuckle to get a superplex of his own. So it's kind of like a rolling suplex into a superplex, uh, which is also very nice. They're, they're going up and down here on the show. Yeah. Uh, and there's this interesting moment here. Uh, Eddie goes up top for a frog splash, and I would say Benoit sort of rolls away. That's right. That's right. Yeah. How much of it is? How much of him does Eddie actually hit? Would you say? Like, you know, like I think I think he gets like head and shoulders on him. Right. Yeah. It's pretty, but, it's pretty close. But, like but, it's but, objectively we're, he we're gets left, it. We're left as of the audience. To to work out the disbelief that like he missed it like we have to like do the work here to like believe well he didn't well, he, he didn't hit him full on where it's like Eddie's flying ribs or hitting Benoit's ribs in a clean kind of like making it like like crossing each other up sort of way. No. Uh, and so it's like Benoit and, and I think this is a case where Benoit's trying to wait for the last moment right he's always he was always about like let's make it look as good yeah. as possible and everything like that and this is one where you risk it it's almost it's it's in the same vein as like if you're waiting to have like a really close three count but then the ref counts three anyway uh, yeah, like, yeah. you can't risk it it's a similar thing where like if you don't roll away in time like Eddie's gonna hit you and he didn't roll away in time and Eddie did hit him like in the shoulder a little bit in the head like he just got hit and they do, and they, like the commentary they pointed like oh he kind of you know he, you know they, they pointed out they showed some replays of it too which is good, yeah. uh, but it was pretty rough looking too like it just like it, it was an unintentional way for those bodies to come together in wrestling it's all about intentionally putting those bodies together. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Just, just like sex. That's you know what Daniel you read my mind. Uh, so Benoit hit, smashes Eddie with a power bomb for two, and then uh, Benoit grabs another cross face but Eddie gets the ropes again. And then Benoit holds on to the submission for a little bit too long, and uh, referee Mike Kyoto gives him a bit of grief. Uh, and so Benoit complains to him, which allows Eddie to rush towards Benoit and drive him into Mike Kyoto to knock him down. <gasps> and so ref is down. And so Eddie takes the opportunity to grab the U.S. title belt outside the ring, and he hits Benoit with it, and then hits him with a frog splash. But then it's when over. the ref starts to count, it's over. Uh, it's over. Benoit kicks out, which I was kind of like, I, I think that was the one where I was like, 
I was like, I don't know if that, that makes a lot of sense. You could you could do that and get away with it. It was such a good moment, though. You it know? was like it, it was it was a stretch. I I'm there with you, Matt. Like it was definitely a stretch. Like it was like I I don't think I've seen that happen before. Like the like right. so definitive. Like getting hit over the head with the belt, finishing move from the opponent. But then, but I knew because my Kyoto starts to do a slow crawl. I knew that yeah. it wasn't gonna happen. You know, and so it was like, but it was fine. It was fine. But you're right. They they definitely uh, they definitely took a chance. I need a name for this because this happens sometimes in wrestling where it's like if you if you do too much to a guy and then he still kicks out, you're like your your suspension of disbelief just kind of ends. Like, this is for me at least. Yeah. Where I'm just like, okay, no, they had to finish him here. If wrestling works the way the wrestling works, I have to understand. Like you know, like I th- like I the one I cite all the time is when AJ Styles and John Cena wrestled at SummerSlam that year. John okay. Cena hits AJ Styles with a top rope avalanche um, attitude adjustment, and AJ Styles kicks out. And I'm glad AJ Styles, I they believe, ended up winning that match. But it's it's like you can't John Cena can't do his finish from the from the second rope to the mat, and you can't kick out of that. Like that's not that goes against how this stuff works. Like he beats regular guys with that all the time. Like right. you can't go from the top rope and then make me say like ah ah but that's I mean like AJ, AJ Styles is so resilient. He's like no, he's magic or he's wrestling's not real. Don't tell him wrestling's not real. <laughs> it's real to me, damn it. That's right. And so, Ed, so Eddie, after Benoit kicks out, he goes out, outside the ring again. He gets the belt, and this time he smacks the referee with it. And then he That's throws right. the belt on the Benoit to frame him, which I liked. This, and this, so this, this, this was a this was a terrible plan gone terribly wrong for Eddie. <laughs> yes, exactly. So Eddie is then laying on the mat. He's laying on the mat, and he's like kind of looking to see if the referee is going to come to uh, and recognize that Eddie was hit with the bell or the, or the Benoit hit him with the bell. Uh, but, of course, th- everyone else is down. And so Eddie does the thing where he, he like, he gets up, he kicks the ref to try to, like, wake him up as well, which was nice. Uh, and uh, Eddie doesn't see that Benoit's behind him there. And so he grabs him and he locks on the cross face. And so Eddie taps out, but uh, there's no ref there to actually ring the bell. And so uh, the, the match doesn't end. And so Benoit gets up angrily, tries to rouse the ref. And so Eddie comes after Chris with the belts again. Chris Benoit ducks. He gets a German suplex. He heads up top. And uh, Eddie is he's still holding the belt. And uh, the referee is going to grab it away from him while he's there, while they're both laying down. Uh, and so Eddie pulls it, and he puts the ref in harm's way. And Benoit comes off a top rope and headbutts him. So I don't know if it's easy yes. to understand, but both guys are laying down. And the referee's like, give me that. And Benoit, Eddie's like, no. And so he pulls it, and he pulls like Mike Kyoto in, in the way. And he gets headbutted, and uh, Taz says it all. He says Mike Yoda's getting his ass kicked tonight. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is where, like, a little bit when Eddie was starting to try and like wake up Mike Yoda to frame Benoit, and but it was fine mostly. But starting there, and then with this, I just thought they were going to the well too many times with shenanigans. Mm. I was just like, this is getting a bit That's much fair. for me. It's kind of a little silly. Like they're relying on a bit. More than they need to when you got the guys who you got working this out. And, like, I I love a good match um, when they're really telling a story in different ways. Like, I'm fine with that happening from time to time. But I thought the initial shenanigans was enough. And uh, it's, it's just, again, it's hard for me to believe that, like, uh, Kyoto's just going to be back in a couple matches, right? Like, it's... Like, if you're going to beat him up right. that much, he has to be done for the night. <laughs> but he just has a little bandage on, and away we go, you know? So yeah, they kind of treat it as like, oh. 
A little much for me. A little much for me. I think it's fair. I mean, it's just, it's a very similar deal to you know, hey, that they shouldn't have uh, he should have kicked out of that move. Like, oh, that ref, there should have been so many ref yeah. bumps to it. Yeah, I guess there the is, same time I do I love mean. seeing. It was funny when a ref gets bumped, then gets bumped again. The bump the second time was funny because you're like, that ref can't catch a break. It's funny he's getting beat up. He's a little guy, or like he's not even really a wrestler. And so that's always a lot of fun when you do that. Uh, although this is, I, I get where you're coming from with that. Uh, but the shenanigans continue, Daniel, because down runs Rhino. That's right. Rhino, who's you know friend of Chris Benoit. And so he gets in the corner and he goes to Gore, Chris Benoit, who's sitting next to Eddie Guerrero, but he hit him on purpose. Uh, and so Rhino celebrates uh, turning on Chris uh, Benoit, presumably becoming a heel at this point. And Eddie just looks confused. And so he goes up top. He hits another frog splash. He turns slightly in midair. And Eddie gets the one, two, three to become the first WWE U.S. champion. Woo woo. And there's a lot of talk through this whole match of Eddie deserving an Oscar for all of his, like, pretending yes. to be hurt by the other guy. Da, da, da. But I think he actually deserves an Oscar for how he reacts when he thinks that Rhino's going to gore him and gores Benoit yes. instead. Just the way that he like flinches and like lifts up his knee and scrunches up his arms. I'm like, oh, it was perfect. It was so good. It was like he saw a mouse. It was great. Yes. So good. That is great. Uh, and it was great. I mean, uh, and he goes to hops to his low rider by the entrance. He goes to celebrate there. Kind of fun, also that Ben, the Eddie for a guy who cheats all the time, just kind of was like the, just the the beneficiary of a of a of a turn here, where Eddie's just like, I mean, take where you can get him. I'm usually I'm trying to manufacture wins here, but one just kind of fell into my lap. All right. Uh, and Michael Cole ends the segment by saying this very awkwardly phrased thing. He says, "Latino Heat is the U.S. title holder. <laughs> champion? I can't say champion." Yet? Latino Heat, is that like, yeah, anyway, strange to think about the, the way that uh, Michael Cole phrases that thing. That's okay. And then we go backstage. Uh, and you know, this is the funny thing about pay-per-views is that generally things are just kind of like, they're in the ring. Mostly the backstage stuff is minor compared to regu- for regular SmackDown shows. So it's interesting here. And so we see Vince backstage. He's smelling some flowers, some roses specifically. When Stephanie walks in, she's wearing a Vengeance t-shirt. And Vince is wearing a WWE Crew shirt, which I've almost never seen before. I mean, when I see guys like crew guys there with camera guys with like pay-per-view shirts on, not like WWE crew ones. It's like, oh, interesting. Okay, that's a thing. Uh, and Vince talks to her about how they had a rough week with Kane Powell driving Stephanie's mom, Linda. And uh, Stephanie's mad that he brought it up on SmackDown last week, which he did. Uh, and by last week, I mean Thursday, this was you know, it's 48 hours earlier, or or whatever, 72 hours earlier. Uh, and so Vince says he's going to confront Kane this week on Raw on Monday. Uh, and you know what, Daniel? I went. To, I I found out what he did. You want me to tell you what happens on Raw on Monday? Yeah. Actually affected me. by the rest of the show. <laughs> uh, so me. so Vince comes out at the beginning of, at the beginning of Raw. And he's like, I'm gonna confront Kane later. And then he leaves. And it's like, great, okay. He comes out later to confront Kane. Uh, it leads to Shane McMahon coming back to attack Kane at the end of Raw. And so uh, this is all leading to you know Kane does this thing to Linda McMahon, and so now Shane McMahon is back in wrestling. And I think we're gonna see more of him uh, on the uh, joint brand pay per views in the months months ahead of us. Okay, okay, so it was a nice little stint here. And so Vince says after all that, he says he got Stephanie flowers, but it's not the roses he was smelling, those are for Sable, and he reaches behind her and grabs a very small smattering of flowers for Stephanie. That's right, that's right. Thanks, Dad. That's right, and she has this long, exaggerated look at it. And then next up, Daniel, we have Billy Gunn with Tori Wilson going up against Jamie Noble in the Indecent Proposal match. Here it is, what I came for, what I paid my hard-earned money to see for this paper. That's right. So there's, a, there's a video package beforehand running down what Daniel paid his hard money to see. And 
it's very funny. This is a very split brand pay per view kind of match. This does not belong on a pay per view, really, in any sort of respect. This is like barely like a real blip on a SmackDown of taping. Really, this kind of match. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. And so Jamie Noble offered Tori money to sleep with him because uh, Billy, uh, sorry, Jamie Noble has money now. And so yeah, Tori wants to sleep with me. Uh, and Tori said no, and Billy Gunn took exception to Jamie even asking. And uh, Tori ends up being the one to add, to make the match, and she says she'll sleep with Jamie Noble if uh, if he wins. And it's funny because Jamie Noble was like, I will pay you to sleep with me. And then T- Tori Wilson puts herself in a position where if she if Billy Gunn loses this match. She doesn't even get the money for it. You know, I'm not going to, you know, get into the, the ethics <laughs> of uh, sex work like this, but it's strange that it's like Jamie Noble is like, I will pay you money. She's like, no, but I'll do it for free if you could be Billy Gunn. And it's like, why would you put yourself in that situation? No one's forcing you to do this. But she was she was so confident in his abilities in and outside the ring. Oh, she said, I know. I'll have to do that to elude that whole thing. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. Um, Billy Gunn comes out. His hair is magically longer. I think he has extensions or hair plugs in or something. Yeah, okay. Yeah, tell me what the heck. Was I imagining that? Like, that was no, no, no. It's so longer. It's, like, longer and stringy. And it doesn't look yeah. good. He, he, look, he looks like no. an old man who's, like, trying to, like, uh, turn back the clock a little bit. It's not uh, It's not a good look yet. And it was just confusing. Oh, man. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if Billy Gunn, when he was like 20 years old in this, was like out there like wrestling and still looking like an old man? How crazy would that be? Uh, <laughs> so Jimmy Noble comes out with a suitcase, uh, and it's not a Money in the Bank thing. Uh, he says there's oils and toys in it. It's for this coming Thursday. Uh, so it's uh, it's just, I don't know, a sex briefcase. Uh, I don't right. know what else. Is in either. I think. You should, and then Billy Gunn actually search it. Opens it up and like it is. He opens like, it up. And, Mm-hmm. As stated, it's all in there. Uh, I also say it's sad. Jamie Noble is back in jorts after a couple weeks of being in fancier shorts. So it's like, that's too bad. Oh, okay. And uh, the big thing with this match is that Billy starts off intense, but he ends up kind of hurting his knee after uh, Noble goes for a planche on him. Uh, and then Nitty comes down at one point. She's wearing her uh, genuine imitation fake uh, mink fur coat. Uh, and she ends up putting, uh, I think, Billy Gunn's foot on the ropes at one point here to, to block one of the, uh, one of the yes. pinfall attempts. Um, and it's what funny because, doing? you know, Billy, yeah, Billy kind of hurts his knee. And so Jimmy Noble just works on it. And this is what you should have been worried about the whole time. Like, you know, even a wrestling match where like, I'm very confident Billy Gunn. You're like, well, at least there's a 20% chance you can like slip on a banana peel and lose that way. Like, I mean, just, you should never do these sort of setups. You're just going to get hurt. Um, at one point, uh, Billy gets a Cobra clutch slam like he did, uh, on SmackDown the other week. And Taz even calls it the one and only, which was the name finisher back when he was the one Billy Gunn. And so he still gets the name for that move. Uh, and then and then Billy Gunn misses a Famouser and he gets a diamond cutter for two. And I was like, why does this guy have so many damn finishers? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Like objectively, like, like pass the wealthier, man. Like give somebody else a Cobra Clutch Slam. Let somebody else do the diamond cutter. I mean, our Randy Orton is, I'm sure, doing it right now anyway. Or, or he soon is. Right, right. He's getting there for sure. One thing I noticed about Billy Gunn's moves, uh, very similar to Edge, where everything looks uh, the same. Like, it's all just like right. he lifts up the guy high, like, to his shoulder and then slams him down in some way. Like, this is kind of right. just different variations of that. And it's like, oh, okay, okay, like, <laughs> it's kind of what trick pony is, you know? But it's all different. All different. Right. You're doing it just different enough that you're not going to necessarily notice unless you're paying attention like us. 
Uh, yeah, the, the move that uh, Nydia put the leg on the rope for was a uh, second rope DDT. So that was pretty cool, actually. I remember that was neat. That's right. Um, there's a time where, where Noble goes outside to confront Nydia, and then Tori comes over. Noble grabs and kisses her aggressively. Not great. Don't love the non-consensual kissing on this show. Uh, and then back in the ring, Billy Gunn grabs Noble for a slam, but uh, he gets out. He pushes Billy into Tori, and he rolls uh, – Jamie Noble rolls up Billy Gunn for the one, two, three. And uh, there we go. I mean, this is – Tori Wilson, come on. Roll-ups aren't that strange. They're not that strange in the mid-card either. So, I mean, you should at least expect this is at least a possibility. Uh, and She's so shocked. After match- she is shocked and horrified. And I have no sympathy She's for her at this point. Uh, but, uh, but I do, I do have, I do have questions. She dug her own grave here, really. I, I, I yeah, do have questions about how how you enforce something like this. <laughs> Why a company well, like WWE would enforce something like this? You you think that they step in at this point and say, um, actually, our client here uh, made a bad, poor judgment. We're going to take over here. We can't allow this kind of conduct to happen <laughs> in our company. So even though she said this, we're not going to let this deal stand because, you know, insurance. Yeah. <laughs> Never should anyway. got through that far. Yeah. And then, uh, and so, yeah, everybody, everybody's sad except for uh, Jamie Noble, who's feeling pretty excited. Very excited. And, but, I uh, mean, not, not like, like sort of like non-consensual, consensual sex can't feel that great. Anyway, so I just. No, uh, I mean. She's going to be like even that whole thing. stuff, and I don't know. It's going to be weird. Okay, we, 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 let's not go down f- too far down that road. Uh, I will say, thankfully, it doesn't really end that way, which is at least Praise good. the Lord. Uh, and so then we, yeah, we're going to hard right turn into Funaki backstage with the APA, and they were already drinking Jack Daniels and beer ahead of their barroom brawl. And uh, Funaki throws the footage from last week when the Brooklyn Brawler came out and hit them with chairs, trying to prove that he was uh, worthy of being in this barroom brawl. And then Funaki gets invited to the brawl, and he asks what to wear. And uh, Bra- Bradshaw says he should dress like a Japanese reporter who wrestles part-time. I was very afraid of what he was going to say here, and I'm glad he said only that because it's like, okay, that's actually – that makes sense. He's mostly saying, like, it's fine whatever you're wearing. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the Easter Bunny hops by. It's July, just to be clear here. It's the Easter Bunny season, but Easter Bunny is around here in July. That's right. Well, I had to go somewhere after Easter, you know. That's a good point. I mean, he just, it's not like he like phases out of existence after Easter. That's right. He's got to live somewhere. Uh, and so we have the so APA so Barroom Denver, Brawl here. So Denver, Colorado is where the Easter Bunny has a summer home. <laughs> good. Exactly, with the, well, the, the mountains and everything like that. And uh, so, yeah, there were the Barroom Brawl. There's a bunch of people in this match. And essentially, there's like, I told you the entrance was elevated. And so one side of that, there's a little section set apart, kind of lower on the floor, where there's a fake bar set up. There's a big saloon doors. There's a, kind of an L-shaped bar with barrels. There's bottles of liquor. There's beer. A bunch of other stuff like that. And uh, the Bashams – there's the weird thing here where the Bashams get an entrance. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they're already there. But they're already there. You can see them. And they say – and he even says accompanied by Shaniqua. Shaniqua's not there. She's not there. You know, like – I don't know if they messed up what it was, how that worked there, but it's like, okay. Um, it, it the so FBI also get announced. They, yeah. They just missed their – they missed their cue. They didn't realize, like – they're just standing there like schmucks. Poor guys. Very schmucky. Um, Easter Bunny also gets uh, announced. Uh, oh, sorry, Easter Bunny gets an entrance as well. And Matt Hardy does too. Matt Hardy has a Matt fact says Matt, Matt hates bar fights. Maybe not the best person to be then, I would say. That's right. That's right. Just to finish it quickly is all. That's all. Yeah, that's right. Uh, also, Brother Love gets an entrance as does Doink and Sean O'Hare, who seems very serious for a match that's this kind of jokey. And it ends with the APA. 
yeah, again, all the things that I've said previously about Sean O'Hare, go back to the episodes, listen to them, just reiterate, reiterate, wasted potential. Sound that he's here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, wasted potential, this gimmick does not, like, it looks cool when he's coming out, and then he does this weird, like, fist pump, and it's like, oh, like, you, like, almost have your gimmick, but you just keep on ruining right. it with these weird, like, doing everything everybody else does. Anyway. Anyway, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for bringing it up again. No, I'm glad you do. I think it's worth doing. Uh, and this, I'm looking at this match, and I'm like, this is the kind of match where, or whatever, brawl, I guess. Like, I don't need a rule. I don't need, like, a, a way that's we're going to be told, like, here's the stipulation. Here's how a winner happens. I presume we last kind of guy standing. But now they, ha- oh, so yeah. they have a very different rule, and it's weird. It was, and, and it made it less enjoyable for me. Cause, yeah. Because it was like, okay, so my, my excitement for this match was low. It was low yeah. going in. Then the camera pans and I see this kind of saloon set up and my excitement goes up. I'm like, oh, there's mm. actually like a setup here. Like there's going to be like guys being thrown over uh, bar counters and bar stools are going to be slammed into people. Like I'm like, OK, cool. We got some we got some ambiance to use. And so I'm looking forward to that. And then they tell me the stipulation for the match and just I deflate. Yeah, because I think Bradshaw says, like, last man drinking uh, wins, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Um, there's no rules. Then he says, everyone take a drink. No, well, he says, uh, he says like this. He says, uh, last man fighting and drinking wins. And it's like, right. how do you do both? Like, 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 all of a sudden, I'm confused. I'm like, are they supposed to be perpetually drinking while they're fighting beer in one hand, fist in the other? Like, what... What's happening? That sounds good to me. That sounds fun. But really, it doesn't turn out that way. It's not the last man drinking. It is the last man standing. Like, anyway. It is. You're right. Uh, yeah, Brother Love says, hey, can we stop for a second? Can we, can we pray there? And then he ends up making a yeah, – he asks for forgiveness, and then he hits uh, two random guys at the bar stool. And I presume those are the, those conquistadors, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And uh, so a bell rings. There's chaos everywhere, uh, but Spanky falls off the bar through a table. Uh, there's a referee there for some reason. It's like, okay, I guess that makes sense. Uh, you know, Sean O'Hare is hitting people with pool cues, which looks painful. Uh, they seem somewhat real, but I guess there must be gimmick to some extent. Uh, Matt Hardy, he chugs a beer, and he's going to go run off the bar and put uh, uh, Basham and Canyon through a table. And when he does it, the table doesn't really break. And so no. he goes back onto the bar. Goes again on the top of the bar, and he does a splash. And the table buckles, but still doesn't really break in the same way that he wants it to. And no, so it, was, it doesn't it really work the same way. And and it was because uh, the guys like Basham and Canyon, like Basham was on top of Canyon, so like there right. wasn't even distribution on the, and they were kind of on one end of the table, and the table was kind of pushed up against the right. wall. Just all the angles weren't working in favor. I felt right. bad for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the brawl ends when Funaki falls off his stool because he 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 pretty much everyone was like fighting each other. Funaki was just sitting there drinking, which is at least funny to me. Like, that's one way to yes. do this whole thing. Uh, and Brother Love, he gets dropped by Bradshaw after he tries to hit Bradshaw with a bottle. Uh, and then Bradshaw has declared the winner. Uh, and they say that Faruka got eliminated earlier, I guess. You're like, okay, that's kind of weird. Because in and the end... That was also like, confusing it, to me, because Faruka's yes. standing right next to him. I wouldn't It looks know. like they should say the winners of the APA, but instead they go, no, it's Bradshaw, this one guy. And you're kind of like, what? Especially in t- July 2003, you're like, why are you getting just... Why are you giving Bradshaw one thing like... You're going to start pushing Bradshaw? What, are you going to make Bradshaw the world champion or something? Like, give me a break. <laughs> well, 
well, we won't see what happens. Spoiler alert. Mm. Staring off into space here, for those who aren't watching, uh, which is everybody but Daniel in this moment. And uh, we go to the back after Bradshaw won and Farouk mysteriously did not. And Jamie Noble has his face deep in a very well-worn copy of Tori Wilson's Playboy. That's right. For the last four months. Yeah. The last four months, gosh. Uh, he calls over some random crew guy to brag about he's going to sleep with Tori this Thursday. And the random guy goes, ask about Nydia. And Jamie Noble says, who cares about Nydia? And she, she'll get over it. So he's got that relationship locked down. He's got, he knows exactly he's emotionally aware. He's taking care of Nydia's needs. He's just going to say, who cares? <laughs> See how that works out. I, I'm glad that this random crew member cares about Nydia enough to ask, though. That's nice. That warms my heart. Yeah, it's nice. He's like, she's, a, she's kind of a co-worker of his in some ways, I imagine. And so next up, we have Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman going up against the world's greatest tag team, Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin, for the WWE Tag Team Championship. Here we go. Uh, I'm thrilled to hear Michael Gold point out that Rey and Kidman were tag champions at WCW, and especially he mentions the Filthy Animals. And um, that's kind of the beauty of owning WCW is that you can give your talent credibility that you don't even have to create. You can just kind of go back and that's go, right. like, yeah, we own something we can talk about, and here's some credibility for it, even if you think WCW is dumb at some point. Uh, you can at least manage it, mention it rather when it's the right time. I'm glad you did. It was good. Uh, and so Kimmon, he dodges a leap uh, by Haas in the ropes uh, near the beginning of the match there, and he tags in Ray. And uh, Kimmon, uh, sorry, Kimmon holds him in place, and then Ray does a springboard drop, leg drop on an elevated Charlie Haas, which is kind of fun there. A little bit of um, uh, some nice movement, uh, some nice move stuff in there. Uh, and then Chuck Benjamin comes in, he tangles with Ray Mysterio, and he and Ray have a bunch of reversals from a powerbomb position, leading to Ray dropkicking Shelton in the face. So it's like powerbomb, Hurricane Rana, push out, come back in, kick some. Nice action in there. Uh, and the World's Greatest Tag Team, they set up their leapfrog attack, where like they put the guy in the rope, Charlie Haas holds him in place, and Chuck Benjamin leapfrogs over Charlie Haas, and lands kind of, I don't know if he's kind of on his crotch or thighs, on the guy. Um, yeah. Lower back, but it's a good, it's, it's a good, it's a good athletic move because you get to have opportunity to give Sean Benjamin a time to get, get a lot of air in the ring, which is nice. That's right. It, it's, uh, a, it, it's an awkward move to watch at the end of the day because the opponent's legs just sort of slip off of Charlie Haas's shoulders, so like right. the resistance that it looks like it's creating kind of crumbles pretty quickly. So it's like it looks like it's going to hurt a lot just because he's kind of planked there. But then when it actually happens, you're like, oh, he just kind of slipped off. There was no kind of breakage or whatever. But so it's right. almost cool. It's almost cool. Right. Yeah. And because it is the safest way to do that. But there's a way you could do it where you can see someone do that and like, oh, it hurts so much more. I remember seeing someone uh, – there was somebody – and I, I don't always like to do this, but somebody – I think it was the AEW, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, they set up a move with these two women's wrestlers. And one girl – she did something with like, like a move where like the only thing – like – like I think it was in the turnbuckles, and she does something where she like stomps on the woman when she's like has when it's suspended and she lands back first. But like, there's no way that you could like break any of it. Like the only thing that happens is you actually just get a lot of body weight on your lower back. People are like, that's not a fun, safe move to do. Like you're just gonna hurt these people if you do that because there's actually no safe way to do that where you can kind of like, take the edge off of it. Uh, right. And so this is the opposite of that, the sleep fuck thing. Now that said, it doesn't even come to fruition because Shell Benjamin comes off the ropes to do it. And Ray grabs him from the floor to stop it. And so uh, Kevin then drops Haas on the second rope. And so Ray goes to run off the ropes there. Sean Benjamin grabs him. A little bit of retribution. You grab me, I'll grab you when you're trying to go off the ropes and do your cool move. <laughs> you grab me, I'll grab you. That was my motto in high school. I mean, that was – I mean, I, that's sometimes how these barroom brawls end. One guy says, oh, grab me, yeah, you know, and things end a little bit more amicably, uh, amicably rather. 
Uh, and so, yeah, so there's the retribution there. Now, uh, Ray gets a springboard senton from the ring to the floor on Sh- on Shelton Benjamin. Kind of this end. was nice. They're, this oh, was oh, nice. Very nice. Uh, and then Charlie Haas gets sent outside by Kidman. And then Kidman, uh, he gets an opportunity to shine here. He gets a diving shooting star press from the middle rope to – sorry, the top rope to the floor. It's kind of a, it's kind of a springboard. And, like, he doesn't really, like, do, do as much of a leap. He kind of puts himself in there. But yeah. he gets a leaping shooting star press from there. The crowd's going wild for it. They're chanting holy ass word. And uh and it's and honestly it's sh- worth it. So good. Yeah. So good. Kimmy gets more air than usual on his yeah. usual shooting star press, which I think I'll give a lot of grief for. And I'm gonna say it here, I think this might be the coolest shooting star press that I've seen Kidman do. Kidman specifically. I've seen other shooting star presses that are cool, but this might be the apex of Kidman shooting star press uh, opportunities. Well, and I mean I still like, you know, there's there are some other cool shooting star presses. Oh but yeah. This is up there though. This would be on the top five list. Oh yeah, like if you're do, you're doing a shooting, you're doing a springboard shooting star press to the floor on guys who are standing up. Like that's pretty wild. Yeah, it's great. Like as good as it gets. Like man, that's crazy. Uh, and so Kimmen rolls Charlie Haas into the ring, and that gets two. Uh, and Kimmen ends up on the apron. He gets driven into the post, and then Kimmen is firmly in the babyface and peril spot. And they're working him over, and uh, Benjamin is getting a couple of bridging sum- submissions on Kimmen, and Taz is like, I used to do that one. It's like good for him. <laughs> Uh, Mike Kyoto is doing this match, like Daniel alluded to earlier. Uh, he's recovered <laughs> fine. He's got his, he's got a little wrap on his elbow, uh, but he's no no worse for wear apparently. No head trauma, even though he got hit by a bunch of things. That's right. Uh, that's right. And he still has the wherewithal, as they would say. Though, like I'm sure there's a trainer back there being like, you got to stay back here. He's like, fight. He's like, fight the trade off. He's like, no, I gotta get out there. I got a tag title match. I gotta do. It's like, all right, sure. <laughs> that's right. He's like, just to be, the trainer's like, just to be clear, if this was Sable versus Stephanie, you're staying back here with me. That is not worth you being out there. <laughs> uh, and so uh, Kimmin tosses Haas outside of the ring to get away and tag in Ray. And I like that because it's like Kimmin is trying to get away from these guys so he can tag in Ray. And so he like throws him to the outside being like, no, get away from me, <laughs> which I like that as a, as a move. Not a high impact thing, but just kind of being like, well, if I remove you from the equation, at least I can do fine. Uh, and Sheldon right. Benjamin comes in to prevent the ref from seeing – that Ray got the tag. And so when Ray gets a tag, the referee, Mike Yoda, he does the thing that the only face referees do to face guys where like a guy comes in that he doesn't see the tag. He like, he like grabs Ray. He's like, almost <laughs> like spear him or something like that. It's like, I did not see you do the tag. You get back in your corner right now, young man. Uh, and so while it's happening, Haas and Benjamin are suplexing Kidman. And so the, the, uh, the tag is still delayed. And so Kidman gets beat on a bit more. He finally tags Ray Mysterio. He runs wild and he gets what I can only describe initially as a flipping springboard drop kick. So he essentially does a he okay. springboard front flip, but it ends in like a drop kick. You're kind of like, oh, that's a wild thing to do. Interesting yeah. choice. And uh, Ray gets a springboard sunset flip, and then he gets a, a springboard wheelbarrow DDT. And then he gets a 619 in West Coast Pop on Charlie Haas, but the referee miss, misses it because he's trying to get Kim out of the ring. Uh, and uh, I'm just looking at him being like, why, is, why do you care about Kim? It's not even really like a, like a part of this. Like, why are you so uh, focused on them, uh, Mr. Mike Kyoto? What is your bias here? Well, I don't know. That's right. Storyline. Storyline. Keep keep the keep the story going in the ring. That's what this is. Yeah. Is. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, and so uh, Billy tosses Ray from the mat. Uh, sorry, Kimmy tosses Ray from the mat onto Charlie Haas, who's on the top rope. And this is alley-oop Perk and Rana that Ray and Edge would do when they were tag team partners. But doing it here, and it only gets two, but the crowd is mad. They're counting. They're chanting BS because they thought it was the finish. They thought it was super duper close. They wanted it to be the finish. And uh, I don't know. This is almost a good example, Daniel, I thought, of uh, a Matt time where you're like, that should have been the finish. Because uh, the crowd is like, that should have been the finish. But they're like, no, no, no. 
Uh, and so people are they're energized. They're, they're on their feet and they're emotional about this. That's right. Engaged. Very engaged. And so Ray gets onto Charlie Haas's shoulders in an electric chair drop position, but uh, Haas flips him around into a powerbomb position. Shelton Benjamin tags in. He hops up. He flies to hit Ray with the clothesline powerbomb, a move we've seen them do a few times. And uh, that is good enough for the one, two, three. And uh, Kidman tries to fly in to break up the pin, but it doesn't happen. So the world's greatest tag team retain their tag team titles. Uh, and yeah, it was really good fast-paced action. I was super into it. One of the one of those matches, the crowd was totally loving it, and uh, I thought it was good. And Dan, you, you thought it was uh, also pretty good, I imagine, from what you said there, but not as good as the opener. Is that right? Yeah, no, I don't think it was as good as the opener, and I, I, I thought right. it was good, but I thought again, not as much investment in the characters here uh, for me. Oh, that's right? fair. And, and that kind of makes that that makes the match more elevated if I care. Like I really thought they set up Ben and Eddie's kind of personal feud really nicely with that last week's promo. I thought they did a really good job of kind of raising the stakes in a very simple way. Um, whereas the world's greatest tag team, I don't know where they stand. Like I know they're champions, but like, I don't really have a great sense of what the division looks like. Who's competing in the division. Like, I don't, I don't know what the stakes are like, but as far as a match goes, nice high octane cruiserweight action. I'm doing air quotes for cruiserweight. Yeah. Cause I know not everyone there counts as that. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I I think that's fair. I mean, impressive that Eddie and, and Chris were able to make that into a more interesting match, even though it was a tournament final. Off of tournament finals, you know, when they try to add something to it, it just seems like such a, a tacked-on thing. Yeah. And so I'm glad they managed to get away with it there. Uh, and so Steph, next up is Stephanie versus Sable in what is announced as a no-count-out cat fight. Woo! Because if it was... So if, I don't know what... If, if it wasn't this, I would not be tuning in, for sure. I don't know what a cat fight is versus a regular match. I don't know why there's never been a guy doing a cat fight. I think that'd be interesting. Uh, I have no idea where the no count out stipulation comes from. That's totally just comes out of nowhere as well. The, does do they do they utilize that? Like, does that come in handy at some point? Uh, well, really. we'll see. And not really. They go uh, into the crowd like momentarily. Anyway. Yes. But usually, I mean, even a match where there isn't no disqualification, like the ref just kind of follows them out there and goes like, all right, fine, we're just gonna follow this for a little bit. Which is almost almost referee being kind of like, you know what? People want it. We'll just do it. This is fine. You're like, I don't know. It's yeah. good. He's a man of the people, the referee. And uh, and so we see footage from last week when Stephanie attacked and stripped Sable backstage. And uh, Michael Cole wants to emphasize that Stephanie's going through some stuff. And so he says that her mother was, quote, pile-driven through the stage. Which uh, I, I've seen it happen. Ben, uh, Kane, uh, tombstoning Linda on Raw. Uh, but he does not tombstone her through the stage. He just does it on the stage. That would be very different if you like did like a dump, jumping tombstone <laughs> and they both disappeared onto the set. That is not right. what takes place. That would be very, very cool, though. Very cool. Let's book it. That's, I'd love to see it. Uh, Stephanie comes out first, and then we see Sable come out, and she's dancing on stage and on the ramp before the match, which leads to Stephanie chasing her out and tossing her in the ring, then chasing her to the floor, uh, chasing her to the floor and into the crowd. And uh, it's funny because you can see a bunch of guys in the crowd standing up with their digital cameras and their old disposable cameras just taking pictures for, like, a large portion of the match. And you just don't see that with tag title matches, you know? That's not the kind of vibe you get from those. It's a very different thing. (laughs) What are they they trying to take pictures of, Matt? What are they trying to get there? I mean, I assume they're trying to get uh, see. Well, I mean, they're gonna see from Brian Hebner a little bit. They should have their cameras out. Little do that's they know. Right. They <laughs> that's that's right. 
Those are the Can bands you're here? really after. That's right. That's that was th- I was thinking that exactly. That was almost the name of this podcast. Uh, the, the real niche you're after. Uh, and then so more more uh, stipulation weirdness here, Daniel, because the it's a no count out cat fight. But Stephanie grabs a steel chair outside, and the referee grabs it from her. And so I get, we're supposed to understand it's a cat fight. You can't get counted out, but you can't get disqualified. That's right. Because Stephanie Obviously. goes to get used to the chair, and she doesn't use it, or isn't, isn't able to use it. And so she goes with a different angle, uh, which is uh, – and this makes sense because she was – you know, she she ripped off Sable's shirt last week on SmackDown. Sable's shirt is weak. She's she's uh, working the shirt. Right? That's the injury she's trying to go for. She's trying to work the shirt. Yeah. And so she uh, tries to rip off Sable's shirt here. Uh, she nearly succeeds. The crowd is getting insanely excited for this. And so referee Brian Hebner ends up taking off his ref shirt, which you almost never seen in another match. Referee intentionally taking his shirt off. And he gives it to Sable to cover herself up. He has and some nice why... tattoos, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's cool guy <laughs> tattoos. When they're going through Tallahassee, he's like, yeah, my dad, I'm not going to tell him about this one. I'm getting this one. Is that cool? And the wrestler's like, sure, referee guy. And uh, Brian Henry, he's distracted by this. And so he doesn't hear when A-Train, of all people, runs in and smashes into Stephanie in the corner. Oh, yeah, bulldozer, man. Just bulldozer. Holy Toledo. It's true. And that leads to Sable crawling over to her and pinning her for the one, two, three. And Sable wins. Um, right. And so I don't know. Like, so Does this mean A-Train wants to get fired? Does this mean Brian Henry is deaf because he couldn't hear A-Train run three feet away from him, behind him, or the reaction with the crowd? It's hard to make sense of it. Yeah, it, it's so – yes, the point you just made is a brilliant one. It's like she's the general manager. The general manager. Why is she in this match? Like why didn't she just say, no, you hired me to run a good show, Dad. This is not a good show. I'm not competing in this match. Wait, like, or even like – the rules? It would make more sense if if there was a match where if Stephanie loses and Sable becomes GM for either a period of time or for good, because uh, then you go like, well, A Train will get in trouble uh, for hitting Stephanie, but Stephanie's about to be out of power. But that's just not how this works. Like that's right. Stephanie's very that's much right. still in power. The, the internal logic uh, is weird here. But arguably, yeah, doesn't it feel like she weird. has any power because like she her and Zach Gowan were putting that match at the Big Show uh, a little while ago. You know, just being like, yeah, she like. She has authority and can do things as long as her dad's not around. I would say it's almost like if you make a match on SmackDown, no one's allowed to unmake the match. You can add different matches. You can add stuff to it. But you can never match. Like, it's very rare in wrestling, especially this era, for them to be like, this match is happening. And then another return manager comes out and goes, no, we're not doing that. But it happens all the time. Well, they'll just add matches or they'll, like, add the kind of retaliatory matches where it's like, right. okay, well, I'll do this. You're like, okay, well, here's this unfair thing then. How do you like that? <laughs> what do you think of that? So that's the only way I can think about it. Maybe they're not allowed to cancel other people's matches. You just have to go with what they what they set up and hope they don't do anything bad. Oh, 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 hi, Frank. What are you doing here? Uh, I'm here to make a match. Oh, uh, come on, Frank. No, it's you versus that guy. All right, Frank. I don't want to do that, though. It's like, you can't make, you can't not make it. You got to do it. You got you to live with the fact that I just did it. This All right, Frank fine. Is the, Frank is the caretaker. He's, he's on the custodial staff at the arena. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was hoping you were gonna say he was like a smack. He's like a traveling janitor, where he travels the country and sweeps up the stuff in the arenas. Oh, I hope so. He's, I hope so. That's yeah, better. he's kind of like a like he, a he's like a Downton Abbey butler, where like when somebody important is coming, they send their butler ahead and like work with the staff, the uh, the staff who's there, and so uh, yeah, just like that. He it's lives, just like Downton he Abbey. One, he lives in one of the compartments of the tour bus. 
where his home is. Yes, little, yeah. exactly. It is furthest away from where the toilet is. That's right. That's right. He has some cred. Uh, and so Stephanie's helped backstage uh, by a couple referees, and they treat this hit, hit on Stephanie by A-Train as deadly serious. It's a very right. real thing that happened here. And, and Michael Cole says, he didn't slow down at all. He didn't slow down at all. And he, he, did. <laughs> he did. He did. He did. He slowed down. <laughs> also, why would he? He's coming out. He's got no reason to be there other than to attack her. Not like he, he like comes out there, and then he's kind of like halfway to, like towards her. His mind just kind of stops and he goes, why am I doing this? Aren't I better yeah. than this? But he, he definitely gets ginger on the tippy toes there when he comes colliding into it. Right. But again, exactly. another, another call for us to suspend our disbelief. Yeah. It's yeah, it's all just, just, just confronting these realities. If we, we like them or not. Uh, next up, Undertaker versus John Cena. I was excited for this, man. Oh, I knew. I, I figured you would be. It's yeah, a big match is, for these guys. Cool. Big for Johnson. Cool. Sarah was sitting beside me at this point, and I like she was on her phone, and I was like, "Hey, take a look!" And she was like, "Oh man," because it was like the uh, infographic or whatever, like the graphic of Cena with his like white. I don't know what kind of what do you call that hat? His, a bucket his hat? fuzzy bucket like, hat. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And she was like, "Oh, oh my!" <laughs> like, he would get a cooler hat even earlier than that. I'm pretty sure. Right. All right. He, he, he like he would. Uh, sorry, his graphic specifically would get better. Yeah. Funny to think about, but it would. And so yeah, we get it. We with a video package there. It's all about respect. John Cena wants respect. Uh, Orlando Jordan, the new guy, is kind of featured in here too as a guy that wasn't getting respected from John Cena. Undertaker comes out and says, "Hey, you need to be respectful." And we see some of John Cena's raps in the graveyards uh, and inside of Pentagram. So he's doing all this stuff here. Um, and uh, Cena comes out first. Uh, and he raps when he gets to the ring, and he says he's going to eat Undertaker, and they'll find his bones in his feces, among other things. Right, right. Decent, decent rap this time around. It wasn't the worst, but again, he he loves he loves going for sexual innuendos that kind of like incriminate him, like just yes, <laughs> like it's like he likes like. Do you want him to? Why do you want him to suck your dick? Like, why do you like that? I'm confused. <laughs> like, all this kind of stuff. Seems more to this than just like, like the grand, kind of like the grandstanding, that sort of thing. What's happening here? <laughs> yeah, like, like I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if he came out one day and was just like, "Yeah, you might want to stand around and show off, but just watch out, or I'm gonna jerk you off." Like, oh gosh, <laughs> it's it's. it's it's pretty much where he's going half the time. It just comes like it comes out and says those things you're gonna like. I think John Cena might be attracted to A Train. <laughs> That's right. Gosh, <laughs> like he's so graphic about it too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know what? We get it. We get a moment uh, to enjoy here, Daniel, because uh, Undertaker comes out riding his bike. And he yeah, gets to the top I think, of the ramp. I think there's an oopsie. There's an oopsie happening. They go oopsie because. Undertaker sits on top of the ramp on the bike, and then we just kind of cut to John Cena for a while, uh, for an uncomfortable amount of time, and then big uh, we just see the Undertaker who just got off his bike and started walking down the ramp, and it seems like it took for a very long time, and it seems like Undertaker's bike just stopped working. I don't know what he did, if he doesn't want to turn it back on or up and on again, he flooded the engine or something like that, but so, yeah, so uh, Undertaker what I has to walk down. Is he comes out, and yeah. then... He reaches to the side somewhere and like it looks like he either turns a key or something. He just kind of waits for yeah. a second and then has a stare down with Cena. Like he's business, right? So he's like, okay, we can make something work here. 
And then he just, like, as he's doing the stare down, he just, like, slowly moves his hand back to the same spot. Try inconspicuously tries it again. And right. The next thing we know, he's just walking down the ramp. And uh, Michael Cole makes up some, like, ridiculous excuse of, like, yes. our taker's not wasting any time with the motorbike. It's like... Um, he says he's focused. That's, but that's faster to get <laughs> down the ramp, arguably, right. but that's fine. Or just like, why would you bring the bike out a little bit and then get off? It just seems like more energy than doing either one. Like, either walk out or take the bike. Don't do both. That seems like really right. like a lack of focus. If they were really going for a cool dude thing, they definitely would have. Just as music would hit, he just would have, like, ran out straight to the ring. Like, rock-style SummerSlam. Yeah, that's right. Undertaker can definitely move that fast, too. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> and so they start off in the ring, and Cena slaps the Undertaker. And they go outside, and Taker starts seeing around the announce table area. And uh, Cena spits some water under Taker's face, which in, in, during COVID, Daniel, that'd be a mega heel move to uh, right. take, take liquids in your right. face and spray water on somebody else on purpose. Well, well, I was just like, this is an extension to me of like the superpower that is like the Triple H uh, water spit up in the air, where it's like this should not be a cool thing, but it has become a cool thing. So like this is like this should not be a devastating maneuver, but we're making it a devastating maneuver. So let's just go with it. Let's roll with it. It's going to be I'm, fine. I mean, we've, we've seen tequila uh, spat in people's faces, even in the last few weeks on SmackDown. That at yeah, least seems to have some sort of properties I could see being a little bit more painful. Yeah, I feel like I feel there could be some, some sting there. But, like, we've all been at the pool and have water splashed in our face by a friend or enemy. Um, it doesn't right. it, it doesn't disarm you for long. No, that's right. Usually, kind of get out of your face and go. Oh, okay. Well, that was uh, that was a lot, but I'm okay. Uh, and so, Taker takes control of the match. He hits a leg drop on the apron. He gets his rope walk, and he hits this very nice looking choke slam. Like he gets him up all the way yes. in the air, just yes, clean and just like one of the nicest choke slams I've ever seen. To be honest with you. Yeah, I I believe yeah I believe you. I'm I'm on that train for sure. What I what, but what, what is he, what is yeah? Oh, I'm enjoying the pace of this match. Like. Uh, it's yeah. all very like it's slow, it's methodical, but it's very heavy hitting. Like both guys are just getting in yes. like big stuff, and like I love that Undertaker is kind of doing favors in a sense here of like letting Cena do big things to him, and like kind of like yeah, it 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 feels the whole time like Cena belongs in the ring with the Undertaker, and it's just so right. cool, so cool to see that. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the time where they're trying so hard to make uh, John Cena, and they're giving him all these opportunities and stuff like that. Uh, do they let him win here? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but what did you think of the, uh, the post choke slam? Taker covers Cena, and then at two he lifts Cena off the mat. That was interesting. Yeah, because yeah. My, the assessment that I just gave, I forgot about that. The assessment I just gave doesn't count that. I was like, oh, that <laughs> they really, they really kind of are, yeah, setting up like a. But look at this schmuck. But then he comes back. He, he recovers from this, I think. But yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so Taker goes for the last ride, but Cena escapes and he hits a DDT. And Cena takes off the turnbuckle pad in the corner, but doesn't come all the way off. And so he's got to, he waits until he's got his back to it. Uh, and the Undertaker runs towards him. And so Cena kind of, as he's leaving the corner, he rips off the turnbuckle pad and lets Taker hit it. Uh, on the exposed turnbuckle there. And again, I mean, I said it before on the podcast, the exposed turnbuckle is not that realistic to me in terms of like, I think that looks like it would be painful. Like in wrestling, they always try to be like, they're almost treating it like it's like, it's a block of lead or like a little knife or something like that. But it's just like, it's just like, they even sort of 
Bolts at one point. It's like, even if Bolts is generous, uh, it just seems like it's like, like I don't know. It does not seem that intense. Well, well, well the thing that's interesting, right, is that if the turnbuckle's taken off, uh, you're arguably, you're going to hit like either side of the ropes first. Yeah, that's also the more, that's right, it's a smaller area to actually hit a guy into for you to yeah. leave your face on. Yeah. So if anything, it's like, oh, you're just going to get hit in the ropes again. Oh, that's not fun. And uh, Taker hit, hits the exposed turbuckle with the side. And so Cena starts to work the ribs, and that leads to Undertaker having internal bleeding. So he's got a bunch of blood in his <laughs> mouth. Yeah, 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 okay. The whole choice. I mean, internal bleeding seems just sounds like you're dying, though. It's weird to think of it as, like, a wrestling thing. You're like, oh, he's kind of hurt. It's like, he's spitting up blood. Like, I mean, he probably has some sort of internal problem that's going to cause his, his death. Right, <laughs> right, right. It's, it's more serious than just, like, okay, keep fighting. Fighting, it's fine. So Taker goes for Tombstone. It gets countered. John Cena goes for an FU. That gets countered. Uh, then Cena gets leg dropped. And then Cena gets uh, – uh, Taker gets Cena in the corner – uh, but when the ref is turned around, Cena hits Undertaker in the gut with a chain. Some more rib action there. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. And he hits the FU, and Taker kicks out of the FU. Uh, you know, yeah. he's young and up and coming, so he kicks out of it here. Uh, <laughs> a lot more rare later on, but that's what happens here. And then John Cena does a dumb thing, which is a dumb thing that only wrestlers in matches against the Undertaker do late in their matches, which is they go in the corner and they go for mounted punches on a guy. Uh, and so he's yes. punching the Undertaker in the corner. But instead of the guy, Undertaker, having his arms sitting on the top rope, they're underneath in a perfect position because it would allow the Undertaker to grab you for the last ride, which is exactly what he does here. So he w- John Cena's trying to punch him. Boats. He showboats. That's right. Oh they always do. I mean, this is what happened to uh, Undertaker. Uh, sorry, Triple H, WrestleMania 17. If I'm not mistaken. And um, Undertaker lifts him up for the last ride from the corner, slams him down. And Undertaker gets the cover and the pin, one, two, three. And so Undertaker uh, teaches John Cena a lesson here in Denver. And if you're thinking that Cena's like, oh, he's so hot, we should just keep – we should let him win, beat the Undertaker off the hop, uh, they're not going for it. They didn't want to do that right away. Nope. No, wanted to, wanted to put the respect where it was due in the big dog's yard. Oh, they love it. And I mean, Michael Cole's trying to pour the respect on because he says the Undertaker is standing tall in Denver – uh, even though in that exact moment when he said that Undertaker was lying down in pain. Right. Uh, so there's not, not a lot of standing tall in that match. But Michael Cole says that, and you're like, all right. Uh, and Cena leaves the ring and gets to the top of the ramp before Taker even gets to his feet. So it's also weird to say he's standing tall in Denver. It's like he kind of seems, he seems like he lost the match more than anything. <laughs> right. Like, Who's the winner? Choice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know who the winners for this next match is the viewers. It's Vince McMahon going up against Zach Gowan. That's the right. remarkable Zach Gowan, as they keep saying. He's so remarkable. He's remarkable. Uh, We've been remarking on his one leg this whole time. We do remark upon him a lot. That's true. Michael Cole asks us if we believe in miracles and says we're going to find out with this match. And I mean, if it's going to take a a sexy thing. That's right. But if it's also like, okay, so if it takes a miracle for Zach Gowan to be up an old guy who's not a wrestler, like how is he credible in the ring here? Like he can't keep saying he can't be this much of an underdog in his life because then it becomes like, well, he's just like, there's nothing to him. That's right. Too much of an underdog. Uh, and so we see a video package here. We're explaining how Vin, how Zach lost his leg. And the video shifts to Vince talking trash about Zach. And we see Zach. Uh, he wants to get a contract, and he does get it. And I couldn't help but notice that Mr. America, who is a prime part of this whole feud initially, he is a conveniently oh, cut yeah. from the whole video. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't even know that yeah, yeah. Hulk Hogan and a mask is around. That. 
Uh, not, yeah, not that goes there. to show I didn't notice, so that goes to show how much I was val that that character was valued. That's fine. Yes. No, I think it's I think it's fair. Uh and uh and so when they're both in the ring, you can look at it and Vince just looks like he's like twice as wide as Zach because he's like got the kind of the bodybuilder shoulders and stuff, and Zach is just a skinny kid. Yeah. I I've always had a, like a a soft spot for Vince McMahon Ruthless Aggression era and just like his just physique and his matches and just like they're not great, but like they're always <laughs> always a good time. Just like a big muscle bound freak bleeding like a stuck pig. <laughs> He's gotta do it. He's gotta do it to show his credit his credibility here. Uh, and so it's all it's weird. Okay, so a couple funny things happen. So Zach takes off his leg like it's a big deal, even though he always wrestles on his match without his leg. Uh, it would seem to be more a problem if he didn't. Uh, yeah, and then the referee, also the he goes to get out of there and he like calls him back. He's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Take my leg. Uh, and everyone's like, take my leg. Oh. Yeah, crazy. And also Vince earlier, like in some promos, uh, he said, you know, maybe I'll wrestle in my arm time I have it back or my leg or something like that. Nothing, nothing of the sort happened in series. Wrestles him normally. I don't know why I brought it up earlier, but he did. <laughs> uh, and there's a sign of the crowd that just simply says it's got leg. And if it's got uh, leg, uh, the answer is yes. That guy who does got one leg. This <laughs> is that. I think it's fair. Um, and uh, Zach uh, is he's getting he's dominated by Vince McMahon, but then uh, he gets a break. He hits an Asai moonsaults outside the ring, which looks good. And um, you know, Zach is he's flying around pretty well in in the ring, uh, but anytime he has to like even roll Vince over, even the act of like rolling him from his back to his stomach or something like that. You're just yeah. like, well, you know, he can't do he can't do that without the help from the other guy. Like that's the thing where it's just like it's so hard uh to yes. see him as a threat when it's like I I don't think I could see him picking Vince over his head, picking him up. Like I just don't see it happening. Right, 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 right. Just think and, and that becomes really acute uh when he's working Vince's leg near the end of the match. And he has to like fall flat on his face every time he ramps Vince's leg into the turnbuckle. Right, uh, and Vince. Then Vince, at this point, he starts working Zach's leg. Yeah, uh, can, and it's can, like, can I talk about this, or do you want to talk about? Please, this? no, go oh for my. it. So, so this was like silly to me, um, because usually this move it happens a lot in wrestling. You know, you bring the guy's legs on either side of the turnbuckle post, and you start like slamming it in or slamming their crotch in, whatever. Like it was good because like, yeah. the guy's trapped. Zach is not trapped. Like all he has to do is right. just kind of slide out of the ring. Like, like there's right. a whole side that's not trapped. Like there's no wishbone here. He can just kind of just go whoop and he's out of the ring. And then Vince is he's just, just off to his side. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, the so thing it too, it's like, like they, they yeah. played it up like he was stuck, and it was just so evident that he wasn't stuck. But yeah. it's like, but they, then Vince they tried to work this move like any other person and it was just like this is this is not the same it doesn't make any sense it's true i mean it was also funny too so vince is working the leg and like he gets sack in a single leg boston crab it should essentially end the match because it's it shouldn't be possible for zach to get out of that in any way whatsoever uh now zach ends up crawling to the ropes which is insane when you see zach's body versus vince's body it's like how do you even like cross the ropes is sometimes sketchy anyway and then factor in that, and it's like, 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 what is happening here? 
Like, how's he even doing that? How's he getting the momentum to scramble his way there? <laughs> Vince ate some bad shrimp. He wasn't on his A game, you know. That's all. I guess. But then Zach gets his comeback, and here's the thing too: he, Vince is working his leg, and Zach is only ever hopping on one leg. So every time he like does anything in the ring, he should it should be hurting him. Yeah, he can't sell that, right? Like, there's no way. No. This is just the limitations of him. Like, it's just the limitation he's under. He just can't. Yeah, it's because then then you go from having a one legged one legged wrestler to just a torso wrestler. <laughs> right. It's like that the the Black Knight or whatever in Monty Python. Exactly. That's what you're. It's put yourself into here. Uh, and uh, I, you know, and, and the whole time, the whole time too, the commentators are doing the thing where they're being total cheerleaders. Get in the ring, Zach. You can do it. It's just very, very earnest. Like, it's cheerleading. It's so like, yeah, come on, man, which is they don't usually do. They're usually so good not to do that, but here they can't help it. They can't help it. And uh, Zach hits a mood salt. He covers Vince barely. And Vince gets his foot on the rope. And like it almost takes more energy to get your foot on the rope than for him to like just like kind of shift over for the kick out. That's kind of funny that he did that. Vince goes to get a chair from outside the ring. And referee Brian Hebner goes to grab him. Vince shakes him off. Uh, and uh, he goes flying to the outside, does Brian Hebner. And this allows Zacho to dropkick the chair into Vince's face and hit him with it. And yeah. Vince starts bleeding everywhere, uh, which was, like Daniel alluded to earlier there. Even though it's pretty close to the end of the match here. He gets hit with a yes. chair, and then it's like pretty close to like, and then we're finishing up. Like, All right, cool, crazy, okay. And so Zach, there's a couple a couple endings of these matches, which I find straight. The last three matches maybe have weird bad endings. I'm not sure about this. Maybe the show's right, bad, right, right. Daniel. I'm even changing my mind on it in real, in real time here. Well, you know what? As you're talking about it, I, uh, I'm i starting to, like, lower my score, for sure. For sure. There's some there's some <laughs> weird stuff. Yeah, it's not as shiny so what... as it seemed. It's basically, so... it was great for a SmackDown exclusive pay-per-view, is all I'm trying to say, I guess. <laughs> the bell curve is real. Uh, so Zach goes up top, and uh, he's only done moonsaults at this point, but what he does this time is he goes, goes for a twist moonsault, kind of whisper in the wind style, where he starts with his back to the, the opponent, and he, he does a backflip and flips in midair and turns in midair. And so he would be hitting kind of almost like a swanson bomb on Vince. But Vince rolls out of the way. And so Zach hits the mat. And then Vince just rolls over. He covers Zach. And then gets the one, two, three. And yeah. Like, what? Like, I'm not complaining the match is over. I'm glad it was over. Uh, but, like, why would that hurt Zach to the extent it cost him the match? Like, that doesn't make sense at all. Like, it doesn't it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would be like, well, well of course, that that's, happens, that's the end of the match. Right? That never happens. Like, no, uh, never. No rule in any other match. But, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, that was surprising to me. The other thing, too, that I caught. Yeah. Vince McMahon is bleeding, like, after he wins, and he, like, leans his head out of the ring ropes kind of thing so that the blood can kind of, like, pour onto the floor. But yeah. I think, like, because he wasn't backstage helping with the direction, people didn't cue into right. this. Because the camera angle is still sticking to, like, the ring and on Zach and, like, on him kind of leaning out of the ring. But there's a cameraman right zoomed up catching this, like, blood dripping to the floor. And I think Vince is going for, like, a really kind of dramatic shot of, like, victory slash what he went through, slash, you know, this kind of thing. And they really missed the opportunity. Yeah. I was like... That's like a – that could have been an iconic visual that I think he was, was trying to not. create. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. It is funny to see the things. Like I remember when, when there was the lie detector test on SmackDown a bunch of weeks ago, and uh, Vince is out there trying to fill time uh, in between 
uh, like them getting everything set up, and you're kind of like he's clear he's like trying to kind of direct it even there when he's out in front of everybody and can't re- yes. relate stuff to the back. He's just like he's trying to do that the whole time. Uh, and so Zach Zach Gowan, who just to remind you is a loser who lost because he missed a move and got pinned old guy. He gets the classic post match. I didn't win, but gosh, don't you respect me for trying ovation? That's right. And uh, I mean, the crowd seems to genuinely be into him. Like, am I wrong about that or what? No, no, they they love it. They love it. They're behind it. Uh, what WWE is selling here has worked. It's worked. Worked for the people in Denver. Yeah. No, for despite sure. that, despite that finish. And so then we go backstage, and Josh Matthews is running. He's trying to catch the new U.S. champion Eddie Guerrero on his way out. Uh, and uh, he asks Eddie if the victory feels tainted because of Rhino. And uh, Eddie says that uh, Chris Benoit is just getting what he deserves because Latino he doesn't have friends. And so this is this is uh, this is what you get from friends, I guess. <laughs> I guess. And uh, so next up, we've got ourselves our main event. We've reached it. Brock Lesnar defending his WWE Championship uh, in a this triple threat match against Big Show. Go with a nice Triangle. clip though. I don't think anything dragged, right? So that's that's yep. something to be said for it for sure. I agree. It's right. Uh, that's right. And so we we start with a video package focusing on Kurt Angle coming back after his neck injury at WrestleMania. And uh, Kurt talked about how his uh, Brock Lesnar was a real friend during his injury. He wanted a shot at Brock's title, but then Big Show's around and say he wants one too. I was like, okay, that's kind of the extent of the feud here. And uh, so we see some uh, some footage of all the action, the feud with the ring imploding during the Brock Lesnar uh, Big Show match, the announce tables breaking, uh, Kurt and Brock kind of turning on each other. And uh, it's very action packed. And it's funny because I'm I'm imagining when I'm, the music, it's like right. There's a Stain song that's the uh, theme for the show, which they can't show on the network. So I'm sure that was song was what was supposed to be on here. It was a proper, um, it was supposed to be a proper uh, like video package with the song and everything like that, and they didn't have it uh, okay. on the network. Interesting. It's a strange I didn't notice experience. that, but that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and before anyone comes out, an announcer Tony Chimmel says there's no disqualification. And Michael Cole says that's huge news. Uh, but is it? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, triple threats being notice qualification is not a rare occurrence. It's almost the default in a match like this because what if Big Show grabbed a chair and hit Kurt Angle? Does Kurt Angle win? Does, does Brock Lesnar win because he's not involved in it? Like, what, what would that even be? Yeah, it's just uh, the rules so, of a triple threat. It's no DQ. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes, yeah, so it's, it's, it is kind of the default, uh, even though people, they're going to treat it weirdly like that. Um, Michael Cole does some classic Michael Cole gaslighting on us here. Where he talks about how Big Show's on the biggest role of anyone in, in SmackDown, and you're like, no, he's not. He's he's been the beneficiary of some really unfair t- handicap matches. He's one of three guys against Brock Lesnar and one of three guys against Kurt Angle, uh, and they, he lost the Kurt Angle match too. Uh, he was on the losing <laughs> right. side for that, and so it's like it's crazy here. Um, and so we start off with Brock and Kurt, and they're staring at each other, and Big Show's kind of in between them, kind of being like, hey, are you going to talk to me here? Uh, and then so they turn and they attack Big Show to start off. And then uh, Big Show gets a choke slam on Brock immediately, and Kurt breaks it up. So within, like, you know, 30 seconds of the match, there's a choke slam. Big Show gets his finisher on Brock, and Kurt breaks it up. And I think the commentator's like, that could end the match right there. But, Daniel, wrestling logic. Do you think they would have finished off Brock there if that if it was hit? If your understanding of no, wrestling is no, correct? No, no, no. If, if that was a one-on-one match, and we got that followed by uh, a uh, pinfall attempt, it would not have succeeded. It would have went to two. I think so. I mean, it's it's funny, like, 
watch it? Like, like, are finishers do finishers like take all of your kind of HP for lack of a better word? Does it take rid of all of it, or is it just get rid of some? And if you were already beat up in a match, like it kind of finishes you off. Because here they're trying to like a finisher is you start a match with uh you know a choke slam and then you finish them right away and that's all it is. Because a finisher in that case isn't really a finisher, and if it has that much power, they should just only be doing that move. Now, now, like Big Show's contemporary finisher, where he has the KO punch or whatever, knock out punch. Right. I, I could like, I could buy that more, um, than the choke slam, but. Yeah. But, but, but. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the the thing that yeah, I'm thinking at this out. point though is like, oh, they're gonna do this. They're just gonna take away all of the fun from this match, uh, and just give us Big Show versus one of the guys. Then right. Big Show versus the other guy. I'm just gonna kind of keep Big Show at the center of this whole thing because that's what we came to see. Right. It's like there's one thing to set, and I get it, right? Because like story, like story writing wise, it's the put the antagonist out there uh, to kind of bring opposition for the protagonist. Make him an underdog right off. What's happening here? It's not the same style because like. In most stories that I enjoy, the antagonist is cool. Like, I right. like seeing the the antagonist. I like hearing from him. I like having him around. Even though he's evil and I also want him to die, I'm still, like, impressed by him. This is not that. This is, like, I hate the big show because he sucks. And right. you keeping him around as an opposition to the protagonist is just annoying. And I want to get to the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the big show being even in this match at all is kind of like like leads to that. Um, but I mean, yeah, I get it. I get it. He has to like kind of go away heat a little bit. I mean, for me, he does for sure. Yeah. Uh, and so Kurt gets an ankle lock on Big Show. Big Show kind of returns and rolls and kicks Kurt away. And then Brock comes back. He attacks Big Show again and he goes for an F5 but doesn't get it. And so Big Show gets what I believe is called the final cut, which is kind of his version of the Eye of the Hurricane. Uh, which I'm not sure, like, who's that for? I mean, you would think that uh, Big Show had a, um, like, he has a finisher. And he would, and, and, and it's where you lift up a guy and smack him down. Like, it, it's kind of weird to have another one there, too. It's a rare appearance of the move, but he goes for it there. And it's strange. I don't know. And uh, after that, Kurt brings in trash can lids. And he and, beat, beat, uh, he and Brock beat on Big Show. And then there's a spot here that annoyed me. Because they, they go to double suplex Big Show, the two of them. But they can't, and then he uh, double suplexes them. Now, Dana, do you know why that would bug me? <laughs> well, I, 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 I can't think off the top of my head why that would bother you, apart from the fact that Big Show sucks. Uh, Brock Lesnar suplexed Big Show by himself last week, or at least the week before. Like, right. recently, Brock Lesnar, as a one guy, has uh, suplexed Big Show. So, in theory, if it's him and Kurt Angle, it shouldn't even be that hard, and you shouldn't be able uh, to... Uh, you know, get out of it. Like it doesn't. Yep, that tracks. That makes sense. That's good. Yeah, and so they get double suplexed by Big Show instead. It's like, all right, sure. Now Brock and Kurt then go for a double choke slam on Big Show and get it. It's kind of more like a rock bottom, but they're trying for stuff here. And then uh, Brock gets Kurt up for an F5, and then uh, he drops him, and Kurt rolls away from the ropes. And it's almost, uh, it's almost a bit tough because he F5s him, and then Kurt just kind of starts rolling. And you're like, well, he should kind of be like, if you want to do that spot, you have to do it closer to the rope so that Kurt kind of like bounces over. Because otherwise you're just like, so why does he just log roll his way out of there no matter what? That's fine. Doesn't really make a lot of sense that you would do it that way. 
Uh, and then Lesnar, then he FIs Big Show, which is great. Uh, and the yeah. ref gets a tube, and the referee, the Kurt pulls out the referee. Uh, and uh, and then Brock goes outside uh, to uh, throw around uh, Kurt Angle, and Kurt starts to bleed there. And uh, Big Show puts Brock on the second rope in the ring, and he goes to superplex him. Uh, and the problem is, and you, you may have noticed in wrestling before, if you go to superplex a guy and his legs are inside the ropes, uh, <laughs> you can't actually superplex him. It's impossible because if you That's did right. that, you'd have to flip the legs through the uh, top ropes, which his legs are in front of. Uh, it doesn't really work that way. So it's not going to be a superplex. What well, happens what's it instead be, is Kurt Angle pop- What's it going to be? Well, Kurt Angle pops up to cause a problem. Big Show's like, hey, get away. And so... Then Brock Lesnar hops down. So Brock Lesnar is on the floor, uh, on the on the mat of the ring, and Big Show is on the second rope. And Brock grabs Big Show in a power bomb. And you're thinking, okay, so he power bombs him down. Uh, that's not impressive. Uh, but actually, it's an incredibly impressive move. And this is one of those moves that I, I've seen it before. Obviously, I've seen it when we, we watch it. I've seen it like uh, people post it before. This is one of the craziest moves I've seen. Uh, in in a wrestling uh, match, or, or like specifically the kind of move to a Big Show, because he doesn't just sh- uh, power bomb him. Uh, Brock gets Big Show in a power bomb. He is a running power bomb out of the corner on Big Show, where he has Big Show on his shoulders and runs for half the width width of the ring. Yeah, like a good uh, solid middle. four steps here, right? Like, yeah, and he power bombs Big Show, and Big Show is like he's slamming down. It's like it's like you took a wall down from a huge building. Like he just gets destroyed. He gets rocked. I like, oh, I hope the That's ring valid. supports this. That's a very valid concern. Uh, and I was just like, yeah, like Brock covers him. And it's like, okay, like to me, if that was a finish, and it was a bit early for that to actually be the finish, but I was like, that would be believable to me, even though yes. I haven't seen Brock like do that power, but it's like, big sure got destroyed by that. Now, thankfully, uh, it's broken up by Kurt Angle. Not just Kurt Angle, but Kurt Angle with a chair. He okay. hits with a chair. Yes. And then Brock gets up, and Kurt Angle smacks him right on the top of the head with a chair. Chair cool. shot to the head. One of those ones that looks rough that we don't do anymore, and it's always funny to see that when we're watching these shows. It's just like, and boom, huge concussion dealing chair. <laughs> but it looks so good. It's so gratifying. Like, I miss those chair shots. Oh, yeah. I mean, I understand, but. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where now you can kind of, you can kind of enjoy it uh, if you're just kind of watching wrestling. Uh, and you're just kind of like, oh, okay, well, I know he, I know that guy's okay, That's so right. yes, I, I can enjoy this. That's fine. Well, the, and, and back to the you. whole running powerbomb thing for just a second. Uh, I was really annoyed yes, when Big Show just kind of kicked Kurt Angle away because, again, I was like, oh, there's the fun sucker just getting rid of the fun part of the match. Because I was thinking, yes. oh, you can do, like, one of those sort of, like, tower things where, like, one guy's on oh, the yeah, top yeah. and, like, it. That'd but then cool. when I saw what Brock did, I was like, oh. Yeah, it would be impossible for him to run with two men on his shoulders. <laughs> oh my great. gosh, be incredible! I hope, I want, I wish he could. I don't know, young Brock man, young Brock was very powerful. Uh, yeah, but just, just like because I was picturing Angle like climbing up and like getting on Big Show's shoulders and like punching him in the head, and then Brock yeah. just running with both of them. Oh man, uh, yeah, but Kurt would probably also die. That's And so. Uh, I, and then I think Kurt goes to cover Big Show after he hits Brock with the chairs, and but Big Show kicks out at two. And uh, Big Show goes outside with Kurt to the announce table. And so Big Show goes for a choke slam on Kurt Angle, but Kurt kind of jumps away. And instead, uh, Kurt hits an angle slam through the announce table on Big Show. This was great. And, and so Big Show's out of commission, and like everybody's kind of out of commission at that point because Brock is on the other side of the ring, he got hit by a chair. 
Uh, Big Show's been obviously put to the table, and Kurt just put him through the table. So they're all kind of out of it. Uh, Michael Cole is yelling like, but he's got to get Big Show back in the ring. And I was like, wait a second. Isn't this a no count on cat fight? Oh, no way. That was earlier. Damn. <laughs> I guess he can't get counted out. It's not false count anywhere either. It's tragic really to think about it. But he makes a big thing of like, he's got to get Big Show back in the ring. I was like, that is not the way to win this match. I would just get just, – Big Show is gone. We don't have to deal with him anymore. Right, That's probably right, better right, right. off. Well, I don't think me. it's a I don't think it's a count out dispute, right? Like it's a it's it would just be a, false count anyway. Pinfall right. in the ring. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's right. I would like it if he goes like cover Big Show and the referee would be like, no, he can't do that. Because uh, it would also be like, well, what if what if Kurt just doesn't cover him and the referee would be like stop it? He'd be like, no, I want to cover him out here. You don't have to count it. I'm just gonna do it anyway. Because <laughs> you think the referee right. would be like, no, it doesn't count. He's like, I'm gonna still <laughs> do it. Obstacle. I'm gonna get the visual visual victory. Yeah. Whatever. If you want to count, go for it. I don't care. You do you. Do you. It's fine by me. Uh, and so Kurt and Brock get in the ring and they crawl towards each other. And they're both bleeding at this point because uh, Kurt was bleeding before when he was dealing with uh, Brock Lesnar outside the ring. And Brock has since started bleeding since taking the chair shot to the head. And uh, and then the Brock wants to F5 Kurt to the outside of the ring, but he can't. And so he just kind of tosses Kurt in set because Kurt's like holding the ropes. And so he wants to clean throwing him. And so but Kurt's grabbing on. So he goes, OK, he kind of tosses him over. And uh, that he goes was outside sweet, the ring. Actually. I was like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. He, he grabs it, so he doesn't really get, get the full F5 effect. Uh, and when, when Brock goes outside, he gets tossed in the steel steps. Then he and Kurt go back in. Kurt gets the German suplex, and then they get the, 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 the lovely, the always wonderful, full rotation, flipping German suplex, which always rules, where Brock does a full backflip as he gets tossed. And that gets two. And it always gets oh. such a big reaction from the crowd. It's awesome. Uh, and then Brock gets kind of a sleeperish move on uh, Kurt in the middle of the ring. He's got his legs grapevine around him. Uh, he's in there for a couple minutes until Big Show comes in. He breaks it up, and he ends up covering both of them for two. And I kind of like the effect. And now it's just kind of selling it as this horrifying thing. I'm like, oh, he's covering both of them. Like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> what, if, what if he wins the match that way? You're like, well, yeah, at this, I mean, at this talk- point, the match reached such a fever pitch of, like, intensity, and they were pulling off so much stuff that the this kind of suck factor the Big Show brought to the table didn't matter. Like they they superseded right. that handicap at this point. Yeah, I mean the funny thing too is that Big Show is often uh, in matches like this specifically. This is when Big Show's job is to get tossed around by Brock Lesnar. So the crowd actually doesn't mind seeing him there because it's like, yeah, we want to see you get tossed around. Yeah. Uh, so, so actually, we do welcome you here as a a big meat sack to get thrown around for our enjoyment, uh, as opposed to being this annoying guy who's like, does a hand thing with a choke slam. You're like, go away. Uh, we just want to see you get beat destroyed and so uh big show gets a double choke slam on both guys and he goes he pins on uh, he goes to cover brock rather and he gets two uh, and he's like fine and he goes to cover kurt and then brock be, breaks that one up and so brock does the natural thing just kicks big show in the groin to take him out of commission for a little bit and so brock is he's going for a shoulder to the gut in the corner uh shoulder and to the kurt gut. gets out of the way gotta bring shoulder to the gut back here well, you and know, so you know Kurt what? Okay, gra- can I do a quick tangent yeah. here, Matt? Shoulder to the gut. Please. I was watching SummerSlam. Uh, this year's SummerSlam, Edge versus Seth Rollins. Yeah. And this was where it kind of came from, right? Because it was like Edge has a spear. And then if he's mm-hmm. doing a spear into a turnbuckle, it's a shoulder to the gut. And Michael right. Cole stays true to form in 2021 <laughs> and, and says the spear, when it's not in the quarter, but when it's in the quarter, it is a shoulder to the gut. And I was like, well, there you have it, folks. There you have it. It's it's so deci- – he, he's just in such a, like a strong sense of this. Like he just knows. Like, that, that, like no, no, no. If it's, it, he, it, he believes it. He's like, I know 
It's an open space. It's a spear. And if not, it's a shoulder to the gut. And I, I believe that. And I believe for 20 plus years. <laughs> That's right. And you're kind of like, I, I guess, man, I guess. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so Kurt, uh, takes advantage of the fact that Brock Lesnar is like, he, he's gone for the shoulder. He doesn't get it. And so Kurt gets an ankle lock on Brock Lesnar. Um, and so Big Show comes to, to like to attack Kurt while he's got Brock in the uh, in the ankle lock. But instead, uh, Kurt dodges and lets go of the ankle lock and hits an angle slam on Big Show. And then he goes yeah. and he gets an angle slam on Brock Lesnar. And that's good enough for the one, two, three. And Kurt Angle, after hitting an angle slam on Brock Lesnar, after all that, uh, he gets the one, two, three in the WWE Championship. Kurt Angle, once again, WWE Champion. Uh, and, they, and, and this genuinely surprised me because I was sitting here yes, watching and I was imagining what I would be saying to you during this podcast, trying to get my thoughts together, this kind of thing. And one of the things I wanted to say was um, the pay-per-view was good, but it did have that feel of like a more small time pay-per-view where you kind of know that the main championship isn't going to change hands anyway. So you're not really that invested in the main event, even though it's a good match. And so when this happened, I was proven wrong immediately and very happy for it. Very happy for it. Right. Yeah, it was big. I mean, I was surprised it was just an angle slam. Because uh, I figured it was like, after all that, like I just feel like it would be a, a, a chair and then an angle slam or something a little bit more uh, interesting. But yeah, I mean, Kurt just goes in there. He's got a special meter up. He hits a, joke, a big angle slam on uh, Big Show. Hits an angle slam on Brock Lesnar. And uh, my thought after that was like, oh, wait, what is was it obvious that the guy coming back from the injury would get the belt right away? Like, should I have guessed that? Am I dumb? My dumpers for not realizing that's obviously how this match was going to go. Like, it was like, yeah, yeah. that's an interesting point, but uh, I, I didn't pick it up either. I was just like, you know. Yeah. And so, Kurt, uh, uh, it's also funny because I, I love watching and the network is funny, too, because I'm like, OK, this match, this show is two hours, 40 minutes, I think like eight seconds or something. And I like I go over how much time's left and it's like it's two hours thirty eight minutes and eight seconds. I'm like the match is still going on and this show ends in less than two minutes. So yes. the finish has to come quickly and the end has to come even quicker after that. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like it's always interesting. I'm like whoa okay we're like we're in the end game now big time. Because I I thought that there was going to be some kind of situation where like it, it was a false finish or it didn't count for some reason or that kind of like. You won, but it didn't. But then when I looked at the time, I did the same thing. I was like, "How much?" And then I was like, "Oh no, this is it. This, this is, it. is it." It was also funny because I was pretty. Like, I wasn't. I didn't totally remember that Kurt Angle won the belt here. Uh, I thought I might have won at SummerSlam, but he wins the belt here. And I also just presumed maybe I'm dumb. I presumed he was going to pin Big Show. I assumed either Big Show or Brock Lesnar, Big Brock Lesnar or Kurt was going to pin Big Show, uh, but he didn't. Uh, so I mean, we'll see what what that uh, leads in the weeks ahead. Uh, but now, as of now, on this journey, this Master Six podcast in late July 2003, Kurt Angle once again WWE World Champion, or WWE, WWE Champion. So World Heavyweight Champions on Raw, and they are a bit of a stickler for the difference that makes. And I want to be clear: he's a WWE Champion. Sure. And Kurt Kurt celebrates. I think he's, I think he celebrates on the ramp as we go off the air. And so, uh, Daniel, let's get your final thoughts on this. Final thoughts on the first SmackDown exclusive pay per view. And you, we use the SmackDown video games of this era, Daniel. To rate the show, where you say, just bring it, would be a great show. Shut your mouth, would be kind of eh, and Here Comes the Pain would be a bad show. So, Daniel, how do you rate the show and why? Yeah, so so I'm giving this one a just bring it. As we were talking through, there was definitely more missteps than uh, than I left feeling. So the, the finish mm-hmm. of this pay-per-view was so strong. 
and the yeah. and the high the highlights in my mind are just so good, right? So like when you go through the pay per view, it's Ben Juan Guerrero, just really strong performers, really great chain wrestling to start. I kind of forgot that the ending of that match bugged me with all the shenanigans because the action was so yeah. good to go. And then you know I just sort of sort of uh, bracketed Sable and Tori and those couple matches. Like I was just like. But the reason they're bad is more because of how we've evolved in our culture for the better. Um, sure. The actual action in the matches is actually pretty good for the kind of match they are at the time. Like we got some really kind of hard hitting action between Steph and Sable. So it was like, OK. Um, but then as we were talking through it, I was like, well, this this should be more of a shadow. You know, what a way we go. Uh, the tag team match didn't register as much as it did. Uh, you for me but still good uh undertaker and cena is the shining star for me in this match i really really liked this a lot i I thought it was just um, a really good centerpiece for the pay-per-view because one thing i will say is that they picked the right rhythm they like they put the right matches in the right spots and uh gave a great this thing moves this pay-per-view moves really well so for that like it was it's easy low. to watch. It was light to watch. Like, um, when I've watched, you know, like No Mercy, for instance, for this pay-per-view and stuff, it, it's sometimes a bit of a chore to watch a pay-per-view from this era. Just some of the decisions they make and just kind of where it's going or not going. This this was this was good. This was like standard, nice night of watching wrestling, you know, and happy to do so. Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, it's funny how. On another pay-per-view, they would do maybe like the second last match would be like the Jamie Noble Billy Gunn match or something like that. But so this show is really mostly growing its importance, right? Where even yes. if you have you know John Cena and, and uh, Undertaker's later on, but that's actually pretty. That's like the kind of the most important mid-card mi- match that's happening that isn't for the U.S. title, right? And so in terms of like, there's no point where it's, it's not like herky jerky. Like important match match doesn't matter. Blah, 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 blah. And part of that too is that the the, the matches that are like not that that we're not excited about that aren't that good are the McMahon matches. And those are still prominent on the show. So at least where they are on the card makes sense in terms of how important they are, quote unquote important, even if we don't like them. Yeah. Uh, and you know, for me, I mean, I'm looking at this show, it's a single branch show. They really delivered unclear if it's something they can do going forward. They don't really. Uh, and like, I thought Eddie and Benoit, the tight title match made event all really good. Uh, and like I said, the McMahon matches, I don't know, kind of useless to me just because it's like I don't want the, I don't want those feuds anymore. I don't like them. I never liked them. The Zach Gowan stuff is so tired to me. I just want that to end. Uh, the semi stable stuff is so much in there. It just isn't good. Like like we said, with how they treat women and stuff. Uh, but, you know, it's a pretty solid show. And honestly, that main event really did it for me. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that they that really delivered on that feud, even if I didn't like the the big show of it all in there. And they're just doing big stuff in it. They're putting guys through tables. They're doing running power bombs. They're doing F five in people. They're angle slamming people. They're choke slamming people. Like I'm getting all those big things. It's not like suplex back body job. It's like no, no, I'm getting like big hard hitting stuff. I'm getting uh, it's explosions, not little gunfire. If that makes sense in a match, like it's all explosive. Yeah, it all, it boom, all boom, like, boom, boom. It's like you tell me that there's gonna be a Brock Lesnar Kurt Angle Big Show match, and that's what I expect to see. Yeah. It was great one to one. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, so it's a just bringer for me. If all the, just to be clear, like, that's what I was, I was getting like, at. It's a just bringer for me. I was like, well. oh no, I messed him up. He didn't say his final rating. 
No, I got there. I got there. And so next week's show that we're going to be covering on the show, uh, on the podcast, is the July 31st, 2003 episode of SmackDown. We'll be on our way to SummerSlam. It's going to be the fallout for Vengeance 2003. It's going to be very interesting to talk about. Lots of interesting stuff there. Uh, and uh, and now I just have to say uh, my thanks and farewell to Daniel. Daniel, thanks for being on the show with me, buddy. Much hey, appreciated. thanks for having me again. This was nice. Back to back. I enjoyed, I enjoyed Vengeance. Thank you for the opportunity to watch it. Absolutely. If you want to thank me for your opportunity to watch these shows as well, you can go on Twitter and on Instagram, Smackdown 6 Pod on there. If you also want to thank me by sharing your uh, the podcast with a friend, you can do that. Anchor.fm slash Smackdown 6 or any podcasting app. You can share with them. If you think they'll like it. Uh, you don't actually have to thank me for it. I just think it's fun to say it that way. And uh, so, yeah, I just want to yeah, thank you again for being with us for Vengeance. It's always fun to do pay-per-views on here. Always fun to do it with my good buddy Daniel. And uh, I just gotta say, as we close the show, here's Mr. America.